listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the ggtmc america's favorite dildo podcast all right <laughs> the world's favorite dildo podcast. Yes. Oh, there you go my bad <laughs> well we are back after a uh you know another week and uh we got some good stuff to cover this week we're covering uh film from brian trenchard smith or trenchard smith however you want to say it the siege of firebase gloria starring lee ermy and one wings hauser and uh it came uh not it came from within without warning uh, the uh, uh, Graydon Clark film starring Jack Palance, Martin Landau, and uh, something like there's somebody else I wanted to mention. Cameron Mitchell. Yeah, oh, and David Caruso. David Caruso. <laughs> yeah, which is weird. So uh, that is what we were covering this week. So and, uh, Apologies to everyone when I called it. It came from within. It's without warning. Yes, there we go. <laughs> I was like looking around. And I was like, where's my, where's my, it came from uh, within? Where's it at? Where's it at? Well, don't feel bad because I did the same thing on my shelves for 10 minutes <laughs> longer. <laughs> All right, so that is what we are covering. Let's kind of get into what we watched this past week. It's going to be a pretty light week for both of us, but I'm sure there's some interesting stuff to talk about nonetheless. So, Large William, what have you yeah. been watching? Uh, I got through most of Bodyguards and Assassins, uh, which is a period piece. Uh, Hong Kong, kind of kung fu, bit of, bit of political drama uh, film. Um, this film, I think, one, I think it's The Golden Rooster or The Golden Horse is the best film from last year from Hong Kong. I got to be honest, I was pretty let down. I found the film to be pretty average, maybe six, six and a half. I got about 40 minutes left, though. Um, so I'm probably going to finish it today, but I'm pretty let down, uh-huh. uh, I have to say. Interesting. Um, I watched uh, The Harvest, which uh, <laughs> was thanks in large part to a lot of our listeners. This is, of course, featuring um, <laughs> Miguel Ferrer, uh, a great cameo from someone in drag, Leilani Sorel. Um, and of course, the incomparable Henry Silva doing a Mexican accent. Oh, outstanding! <laughs> yes, he's the sheriff. Uh, what's his name? Vincent uh, Vincent Topo. <laughs> so, um, <sighs> this film, you know, I think this film really is. I'm going to say it went direct to video. I'm going to assume it did. If it's and if that's what it is, then I think it really is is a really solid little direct to video film. Great performance. I think Ferrer is a guy that's been underused in his career. Um, yeah, outstanding. Uh, he does a lot of voice work because he has a great voice. Has a great voice. Um, and you know who has puts in a really good small performance? I wish they'd have used him more. Was uh, Tim Thomerson? Ah, nice. Yeah, you know Tim Thomerson yeah. again. He plays a lot of B movie characters, but he's actually not a bad actor. Yeah, no, he was really good, man. He was hamming it up. I mean, he usually hams it up in a lot of his films, but he kind of played this burned-out American uh, in, in Mexico. And, and he, you know, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, he has a Speedo scene. So, oh, nice. You know, but, uh, <laughs> but no, he was really good. <laughs> I forgot all about that. It's too bad him yeah. and Silva didn't have a, a fight, uh, a la Vigo Mortensen and their Speedos. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. 
Um, but yeah, so I watched that. It was it was pretty solid. Uh, then I watched a film called Unarius, The Arrival. Ah, yes. I sent you some screenshots of this one. The one starring Steve Garvey, yes. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and this film, really, what it is, is it's an hour-long um, infomercial for a Scientology-like, uh, I'm going to say cult. Mm-hmm. Um, man, what a fucking bonkers... <laughs> Delusional it, it, This the screenshot you sent on my Facebook looked bonkers. Yeah. It just looked bonkers, period, man. <laughs> you can watch this thing on YouTube or on Google Video. It's called Unarius, U-N-A-R-I-U-S, wow. colon, The Arrival. Um, then I watched uh, The Disappearance of Alice Creed, which was one I'd been kind of excited about because it, it's it gotten a lot of good buzz, and, of course, it had uh, you know, my, my it girl for the moment, uh, Gemma Arterton, um, and it's a kidnapping movie that takes some twists and turns. It it was a debut by this filmmaker. I can't remember his name right now. Um, very very solid first film. Gemma Arterton is naked, although it's not in a very. It's not like it's like a romantic scene, so it kind of took some of the glimmer off that. But uh, yeah, a lot of twists and turns. It kind of reminds me of like a without the black comedy, sort of like a Coen Brothers kind of film. Um, really good stuff. I mean, not great, but but very very solid. Uh, really well shot, and it's got Eddie. Um, what's his name? He was uh, he was one of the cops in uh, the second Red Riding. That uh, he was the guy that had the young daughter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was in it. So good oh, little nice. film. But the last film, or actually the first one I watched this week that I'm saving for last, is uh, of course The Expendables. Nice. And uh, I, I told you I love this film. I, I didn't see the criticism of it uh, simply because I thought it was what it set out to be. Um, I did feel that some of the uh, interplay between the guys was a bit forced, but I think it delivered exactly what I wanted it to. I had a lot of fun. It's pretty splattery in parts. Um, it is a bit too quick cut at times. I think that's sadly yeah. more yeah. The, the the age that we're in with films, yeah. uh, especially action films. They they think they can manufacture an energy by quick cutting, which I don't think is the case. Yeah. Um, but everyone was uniformly great in it. Uh, I thought Rourke stole the show as he always does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish he had had some more dialogue, some more scenes, um, because I told you he takes that scene about the the woman on the bridge. He rises that from lame bullshit uh, script writing to. A level where it's it's pretty powerful and poignant. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Love the Expendables. It's worth your money. And I was gonna go to the drive-in to see Scott Pilgrim, but we have to spend four hundred dollars on our air conditioner, uh, which means, as I said to you, we're rediscovering the joys of the oscillating fan. And I'm literally <laughs> recording in my underwear this week, which isn't as sexy as it sounds. Well, it's better the oscillating fan than the oscillating dildo. So this is true. <laughs> to bring up more dildos. Yes. Uh, no, but yeah, you're right about this. But you know what I noticed about the Expendables the more I think about it is Stallone really did give the film to everybody else. He really was, I think, in my opinion, pretty unselfish in the movie. There was yeah. on, there's only a few heroic shots uh, for Stallone. You know, this this coming from a guy who was, you know, biggest movie star in the world at one point in time. It's good to see that yeah. he's got a little bit of humility. Well, I, I think he has a lot in the past five or ten years. Um, and he even gets his ass kicked in one of the fights near the end. Yeah. He has to get bailed out, so... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, good on him. I think it was a lot of fun, and I look forward to seeing a second one if they do it. Right. All right, so I only watched uh, like five things. Uh, One thing was kind of long, so that might have been why I only watched five things. Uh, I watched All the Way Boys with Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer, which sounds like uh, a homosexual porno movie, but it's not. It's it's a really just kind of goofy 
you know, comedy playing off the camaraderie of Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill, which if you like those two together, you'll like the film. It's not a great film. They play a couple of pilots who wreck planes for insurance claims. Uh, it's kind of fun, kind of silly. Well, actually, it's very silly, but, you know. Uh, I watched uh, the long thing I watched was the atheism tapes. This is uh, just a series of like hour or like half hour uh, interviews with people who are well regarded uh, scientists and you know theologians and everybody who talk about atheism and stuff. Interesting stuff. Um, I watched uh, King of the Hill, the Steven Soderbergh film. I actually watched this last night before we started recording. Um, still love this movie quite a bit. Soderbergh is probably one of the best, if not. The one of the well, I, I, arguably, he's one of the best directors working nowadays. I mean, that's there's no doubt about that. So I agree. Uh, he just just you know he's been for me he's just been a breath of fresh air ever since he came on the scene. I'm glad he's out there making movies, and I hope he keeps doing what he does. I don't care if he makes films for Hollywood as long as he makes his little films in between. Uh, I adore him for that. So um, I watched um, the Killer Inside Me, the uh, oh. Casey Fleck starring. Uh, uh, thriller i guess so to speak um it left me a little cold uh it's a good film not a great film uh some of it might be casey fleck who i did like a lot it's not like i don't like him a whole lot i mean i know i didn't like him as much in the the jesse james film that you as you did but i don't know sometimes he just he leaves me a little cold and stuff i did like him a lot in gone baby gone the film directed by his brother and stuff i do think he's a good actor but i just i don't know this one this one didn't feel quite as good as I wanted to, but here's what I will say. I will say that uh, Jessica Alba and both Kate Hudson are pretty damn good in the film. <laughs> well, that says something for all the people that, that really smash uh, Alba for her lack of... Uh, yeah, this is my favorite thing Alba's ever done, probably. Other than maybe yeah. that crappy, that funny, goofy uh, horror film, Idle Hands, which I kind of liked her in. Oh, yeah. She was good. Well, I liked her in Sin City. I mean... Oh, yeah. Well, she's good in that, but... More I don't know if she's... I, let's face it. She has a beautiful girl. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if that's because she was good in the film or because, you know, Rodriguez knows how to shoot movie stars very well. So, either way, uh, I enjoyed the movie. It's just, you know, it's not great. If I had to score it, I'd probably give it like a seven, seven and a half, maybe. So. I think when, we're, when it's all said and done, too, Sammy, when we look at Casey Affleck's career, he's going to be a guy that really was underappreciated his whole career because we're going to go, holy shit, he did 10 amazing films and, and yeah. a bunch of solid Hollywood fare. He, he's interesting. Uh, he, it's for, my biggest problem with him is sometimes is his voice. It really just kind of drives me nuts. It's got that he's got that Edward Burns quality sometimes. Uh, maybe not <laughs> yeah, as from Boston. <laughs> yeah, it just drives me nuts. It really does. I mean, I want him to be more assertive and stuff, and uh, just I guess it just doesn't work for me. Uh, and last but uh, not least, for some, I guess I, I did see Scott Pilgrim versus the World this past. I forgot to even talk about this um, this past weekend. Okay, so here's the thing. Here, this is going to sound really complicated, but here's the truth about Scott Pilgrim for me. I will not deny that Edward Edgar Wright is an uber-talented filmmaker, and this is a pretty impressive piece of filmmaking. That I will say. On the other hand, I didn't like anybody in this movie at all. Not just the acting. I hated the characters. I hated everybody in this thing. It's just a bunch of hipsters, and it just drove me up a fucking wall, man. <laughs> Seriously. It was like nails on a chalkboard for me. I did not care about anybody in this thing. Now, that might just be my age. I can see where some people would love it. Uh, some people it would identify like a, a young... If I was if I was 20, I bet I would love this thing. And, and I, again, I'll say, as far as filmmaking talent goes, it's an amazing... It's a pretty amazing piece. I mean, visually, it's pretty stunning. Uh, it's well edited. Uh, Edgar Wright obviously knows how to shoot action. Uh, he's 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 a real he's the real deal. I mean, he's no joke. Uh, 
Uh, he's a really good filmmaker, but I just didn't care about anybody in this thing. I just wanted to punch all of them in the face, including the females. Wow. <laughs> I just, I hated everybody. Does it, I heard it really features Toronto quite, quite prominently, which I'm very excited yeah, to it was, see. Yeah, it was kind of fun because, you know, I've been up there recently, you know, last year and it was kind of fun, you know, because they talk about Pizza Pizza and Second Cup and, <laughs> and uh, you know, stuff like that and stuff. And, and I saw some things that I saw when I was up there and stuff. So, you know, that, no, it, it, it's got some fun stuff in it and stuff. The film itself, I would say, is, is fun. Uh, the actual outlying film. It's just the problem for me is I just didn't like any of the characters. Now, here's the weird part about that. I don't like Michael Sarah. I hate Michael Sarah. Uh, he's, you know, I, I don't hate him as a person. I, you know, as a person, I think he's fine, whatever. But I just don't get into his acting style at all. He does nothing for me. I liked him on Arrested Development, and I thought, oh, he's outstanding. I can't wait for his movie career to start. And then he pretty much just kept being Michael Sarah from that point on. Um, but in this film, I actually do like his acting a little bit because he kind of stretches a little bit more than I'm t- used to seeing. Uh, which is weird. I don't like his character. I don't like the character of Scott Pilgrim, but I did like Michael Sarah in the film. I thought he did, at least it felt to me like he was acting for once. So, you know, that was kind of, that was kind of interesting and stuff. It's a weird, it's a weird film, man. I don't know. You either, I, I got a feeling you're going to, you're going to either love it or hate it. And some people love it. And I totally understand that because I can totally get behind that. But for me, the characters just drove me fucking nuts, man. <laughs> That's, I think, going to be a fear of mine because I am, I am really becoming a crankier person as i get older and less yeah. receptive towards youth trends like when i see stuff like um like you know mtv awards and stuff like i just want to kill myself like I, I just i hate like you know stuff like jersey shore all that stuff i just want to kill myself well that's, that's funny you mentioned that because that, that, that's what it reminds me of the film reminds me of an hour and 40 minutes spent and at the mtv movie awards Oh. It just reminds me, it, like it hits on every she, uh, geek chic type thing, and I know the comics do. I, I understand all of that. I understand what it's going for. That's fine, but it just, it just felt. I just, for me, I'm done with that. I've moved on. I'm thirty. I'm thirty-seven, going on thirty-eight years old. I just don't care anymore. And uh, so I just don't. Maybe, maybe really, what it comes down to is it's just not aimed at me. Mm. And really, this is just me getting older, and this film's just not made for me. It's not, you know, that's really the truth of the matter. I like to believe that I'm the kind of film fan that can get into anything. But truth be told, you know, at some point I'm going to age, and younger films aren't going to be interesting to me. And this this might be one of those situations, you know what I mean? I uh, Yeah, I totally get you, because my dad and I talk about that sometimes with certain comedies and... Because that's a really generational. Uh, oh yeah, comedy, genre. big time, big time. And there's, there's, there's this one's, this is a comedy, but I did not laugh once, not once. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I grinded my teeth more often than I laughed. <laughs> See, the, that's the thing. I think both you and I, when we saw the trailers, a lot of people were lit up over them. I just was kind of very mad, and I think you were. And then the buzz started to come in. Both of us were like, "Well, hang on, maybe we got to reevaluate this." And yeah. somehow we've you know just maybe overlooked how good this is going to be but um i think if i had to score it i would still yeah. give it like a six and a half six point seven five because edgar wright i will i mean i'll say that he did an amazing job with the thing he did an amazing job okay it's, it's interesting visually it's got some good tricks some neat stuff some great editing some there's some really good filmmaking in here it's just i couldn't i couldn't relate to the characters at all so i just couldn't i mean i couldn't relate so Apologies to anybody out there, but I mean, people got to understand. You know, some people I think are going to react that way. I think you know, it's it's like Inception to me. You know, everybody loved it, so you know, people always ask me, "How come you didn't love it as much as everybody else did?" Like, well, it just didn't really work for me. You know, it just for some strange reason, there's some kind of block there. It didn't work for me really with Inception, and the mm-hmm. same thing. And I, I did like it. I didn't. I just didn't love it. 
Excuse yeah, me, I, I just didn't love you. it. But this one is a little bit different. This one, I just felt like I was, I felt it was kind of pandering to a group of people that I'm not anymore. So, yeah, that's kind of the vibe I get and what I worry about too. But I, I still, like I said, if I didn't uh, have to pay for my air conditioning, I would have already watched it too. Yeah. Maybe I don't you, know. You'll probably still weeks. check it out. I mean, I still don't. Oh yeah, I still would recommend you check it out because even though it sounds like I'm blasting it, I still think. I still think it's a major achievement, and I still can't wait for the next thing Edgar Wright does. I really think he's one of the great young filmmakers coming up. So, uh, you know what? I'm going to say something right now, and it's it's not going to be. It might be the most unpopular thing I've ever said on this show. I also really admire him, and I admire his film knowledge. Um, I really like Shaun of the Dead. I don't love Shaun of the Dead. Okay. Uh, that's and I know a lot of people love Shaun of the Dead. But I do really like it, and I own it. Yeah. Um, Hot Fuzz, I tried to watch once. I got about 35 minutes in, and I said, fuck this. As I've said before, I bought the four-disker for like six bucks or something, mm-hmm. three bucks. Mm-hmm. So I am going to give that another watch. Um, but I admire him more for his... Hot Fuzz is the biggest problem. My apologies. My, Hot Fuzz's biggest problem is it's way too long. Yeah, which is is that like a meta... <laughs> commentary on <laughs> on like the Michael Bay action film or is it just you know too long I mean I think he's just in love thing, with right? the material yeah I think he was just in love but, with the material but yeah but I think I love him more than maybe his output a little bit um but I'll be I think this film will really we'll see man it's gonna be interesting yeah yeah well I would want you to see it anyway because you know it does Toronto is featured prominently and I think maybe some Torontonians Canadians and whatnot will maybe like the film even more because it does it doesn't shy away from the fact that it's in Toronto. It kind of really makes Toronto another character in the film, which all that stuff I really liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the character interaction. After a while, I was just like wanting to pummel people. You know, I was just wanting to pummel. I mean, really. And there's some good. There's some good performances in the film. I just didn't care for the characters. But Brandon Routh is good in the film. Um, uh, the girl that plays his uh, uh, Chinese girlfriend. I can't think of her name. I don't have it in front of me here for the IMDb. But she's really good in the film. Um, the Mary Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I couldn't stand her in the movie, and she plays this, you know, his main love interest, uh, Ramona oh, yeah. Flowers. But I couldn't stand her. I do think she's a gorgeous girl, but I, I just couldn't stand her in the film. So, and of course, even Mike Starr I liked in the film, and but some of his other friends I did not. So it, it, it's 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 a bizarre experience for me, man. It was a really weird experience for me because I liked it and I hated it. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you, man. Uh, it'll be interesting to see which way I roll on this. I, I will be very interested to hear your opinion on it. And 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 believe it or not, I will not be surprised if you tell me that you loved it, because yeah, I can see that. that might be a little bit of Toronto bias. <laughs> yeah, but I, can, but I can totally understand why. Yeah, it just for the old samurai, the old cranky man, it just didn't work out too well. Sorry about that, gentle listeners. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yes. uh, so that's everything we watched. I had to get a little Scott Pilgrim out of the way there. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about let's talk about um, pop music. Yeah, talk about pop music. <laughs> Nice. Some really weird stuff coming up on the show this week. Uh, dildos and pop music. And Which those two things probably go hand tarts. in hand. Yes. Butter tarts. That was off the they're, air. They're going to they're come up on the air in a little bit. I got a butter tart for you. Anyway, uh, butter tart, butter taint, butter tarts. Hey, buttered taint. Let's, Ooh, let's hey. get into a break. Hey, all, right. all right, so we're going to come back and let's, uh, let's talk about with, without warning first. We'll do that one first. Sound good? Let's talk about the butter tarts first. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll be back right after this. Dear Mr. Vernon, we accept the fact that we have to sacrifice a few hours a week to podcast about whatever you find important, but we think you're crazy asking us to write an essay telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms and the most convenient definitions. 
But what we found out is that each of us is a podcast about other podcasts. A podcast about television. A podcast about films. A podcast about music. A podcast about books. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Podcast Podcast. The Podcast Podcast is your one-stop source for all the podcasts on the internet. Each week we have very special guests from some of the best shows on iTunes so that you can decide if you should check them out or keep on moving. Find us at thepodcastpodcast.com or search for us in the iTunes store by looking for me, Fozzy Bear. That's F-O-Z-Z-I-E-B-A-R-E. City, where there are more belly dancers than there are in all of Egypt. More people do the jelly belly than any other kind. We must be doing something right. Clap your hands together and gently bow. Put them over your head and I'll show you how. Jelly belly, jelly belly, hey, hey. jelly belly, jelly belly. All right, there's the uh, return of Nabonet on the uh, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. And her amazing line delivery, which we see is uh, apparent there. Yeah, even in, even in music form, it's still pretty clunky. Fucking Android stylies. Jelly belly, jelly belly. You'll be stuck in your head all day. I don't doubt it. All right, so our first film we're covering this week is Without Warning. I can see where you got it confused because it's also known as it came without warning, so... Ah, there you go. That's where I think you got the it came from within thing. So you pick this film. Let's see what you think, or let's see what you synopsize, and we'll get talking about it, and I'll see what I think. There we go. Okay. I love the, the short and sweet plot synopsis for this because I think it, it just works perfectly in one, two, three, four, five, six words. Mm-hmm. An alien creature stalks human prey. Yes. It really sums it up nicely, ties it up in a bow. Yeah. This kind of is a, is a low-rent uh precursor to Predator. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I picked this film. Um, it's got some interesting stock in the director, the cinematographer, who yes. I didn't know about until I was watching the film, as well as the cast. So uh, let's uh, let's hear what you think about it. All right. Uh, so I-, I thought I'd seen this before. I'm pretty sure now watching it that I had seen it before, but I saw it on TV, so I don't remember. This thing's actually surprisingly gory in spots. Uh, and gooey, I should say too. Not just gory, but yes. gooey in spots. Uh, so this is directed by Graydon Clark. Didn't we do another Graydon Clark film? Uh, you know, it's funny you had mentioned that because I was looking at his filmography um, to see if we had. I don't know that we have. I no, know that we we've, uh, we had referred Graydon Clark's joysticks to, of course, our, our good friends over at uh, OTC. Yeah, um, but He's, I don't think we've we've done another uh, Graydon Clark. Man, yeah, I know he, he's he's an interesting guy. He's kind of to me, like the poor man's Jack Starrett. He worked in a lot of exploitation yeah. and genre film in the 70s, but I don't think he's as good as Jack Starrett, who I... we got to do more Jack Starrett, man, actually. He's a yeah. great director. I guess infamously, he did uh, Black Shampoo and yeah. uh, Satan's Cheerleaders. And, of course, the supposedly one of the most awful movies ever made, Final Justice, with Joe Don Baker, which I've never seen. I need to see that. It's supposed to be one of the most oh, awful films yeah. ever made. That's one where he goes to Tokyo, or he goes to Italy, or... Oh, Some, no, that's not, I don't know if that's the one, but anyway... This is our first one with him and directing, and uh, interestingly enough, he brought along uh, the great cinematographer, Dean Cundy, who was a workman cinematographer for many years before he started working on really big budget movies and stuff. But again, 
that that's good that he brought him along because that makes his film, even though this print's a little muddy in spots, that makes his film look a lot better than it has any reason to. Uh, even if people are just walking around in sticks for a while, <laughs> it yeah. seems. Uh, okay, so we kind of open the film with uh, Cameron Mitchell, one of my favorite B movie actors, who you know was never afraid to cash a check and pop into a movie for five minutes, you know, <laughs> and. Well, uh, Sorry, sorry. Just kind of, th- this film features three of the greatest check cashers in the history of cinema. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no doubt. You got Cameron Mitchell, you got uh, Martin Landau, and you got Jack Palance. And you got well, you could argue that uh, well, no, Caruso doesn't really check. Well, yeah, he does cash checks nowadays, but anyway, no uh, one's signing the checks with his name on it nowadays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so Cameron Mitchell shows up. He's got his son. He don't like his son. He thinks his son's a bit of a pansy because his son likes to read books. I'm like, wow, this is. <laughs> That's really, really hardcore there, Mr. Mitchell. <laughs> Aggressive thinking man, aren't you? <laughs> yes. Really upset about that, that his son reads so much. Like, shame on you. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, so they're kind of moving through the, the woods, which is basically a little creek with some sticks around it and walking around. He's talking about hunting and stuff. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we're going to get two different descriptions of this. We'll call them one thing because he called me last night and called them what he thought they were. I, I called them this. <laughs> oh, okay. He sent me something here, so I'm going to look at it while we're on the air. Nice. He had this set up, didn't you? You had this set up yes, and ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I called him this. <laughs> <laughs> you even got the sound effect for it. <laughs> ah, yes. Okay, here we go. These are the infamous, uh, uh, these are the butter tarts? Those are butter tarts. Okay, those look delicious. I- they are very delicious, and sadly, you don't have them. Next time you come, we'll remedy that. But I said that these flesh frisbee things look like the Sarlacc Pit and Butter Tart Love Child, and you <laughs> said they look like... I said they look like flying whisker biscuits, which uh, <laughs> is not politically correct, but uh, they had they had a slight uh, vagina feel to them <laughs> for me. Well, I don't know about feel. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, they had a slight, uh, you know, vagina-esque feel to them uh, vagina aesthetic (laughs) yeah with some teeth uh so you know there you go a little vagina dentata so uh it was very bizarre and and this is really the main special effect of the movie they really you know there's an alien on the cover and you do see an alien in the film who by the way is played by kevin peter hall infamous uh predator actor and quite he did a harry and harry and anderson's very good uh, makeup actor who unfortunately passed away very young um but those are the main effects. The main effects are these flying whisker biscuits, and they're kind of fun because they're just like, you know, they're flying around and sticking to windshields and into people, the back of people's necks and the side of their face. And that's where the film gets kind of weird because it gets really kind of gooey and nasty in spots. And again, I, I told you, I think I saw this on TV, and I don't remember all of that. As a matter of fact, I know I've seen this movie, but I didn't remember any of that kind of gooiness, uh, special effects stuff that was in there. And it's 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 you know vintage prosthetic effect type stuff. Uh, Reverse photography with uh, strands or kind of tentacles going under skin, stuff like that. A little, this little, little nasty. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was kind of fun because you always knew these things were going to be flying out of nowhere. <laughs> they never really explained, at least not to me. I don't think they never really explained where they actually come from for the alien. I guess they're just part of his body or something. But I'm kind of, you know, I wanted this image somehow of him either pissing or shitting these things out or throwing them up or something. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> just to get kind of disgusting and weird because I thought you know that could be really weird if they did that, but they didn't do that. So anyway, uh, so we're watching it, and I didn't look at the you know I forgot all about who's in it and whatnot, and I'm looking through it and I'm watching it, and all of a sudden this redheaded character comes on. I'm like, God, that redheaded guy looks awful familiar. 
who is that guy in the fancy track shorts and uh, the little hoodie? Who is that massive specimen? <laughs> well, since you brought up the tracks, the the shorts that Caruso wears, my note was that um, the 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 shorts he rocks a pair of shorts so short and tight that they'd make Daisy Duke blush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the good old days back when men would wear the short shorts as well. Um, so it is. It's Caruso, and I was like, "Wow, that's David Caruso of all fucking people." You know, I didn't expect to see that. And you know, he's pretty calm and subdued here. This is before David Caruso became David Caruso, before somebody told him he was a good actor, and it went to his head. And uh, you know, he, he he's okay in this film. He's not bad. I mean, he's not in it very long. He's only in it, I'd say, maybe twenty minutes. Yeah. And that reminds me, though. So there's a lot of there's a lot of weird moments uh, in the film, and see if you caught on to some of this. Evidently, nobody in the movie can open a door except the girl with the pigtails. I didn't notice that. That's a good point. It's the other characters will go to a door and they'll push on it and it won't open. But the girl with the pigtails, every time she pushes on something, it opens. Maybe they had like a <laughs> telekinesis angle that they were working with. They had to cut out for budgetary constraints. Yeah. Yeah. It's very they only had so much fish line they could use for the, uh, <laughs> the frisbees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's very strange. I mean, it was very weird to me. So, I, I don't know. I, I just could, I couldn't understand it, but... She uh, her name was Tara Nutter, which is an unfortunate name, but she uh, she's she's good in the film. You know, she's kind of fun. She's uh, cute. You know, I always like the pigtail look. Pigtail look always does something for me. And uh, you know, I thought she was all right and stuff. Um, I thought I'd seen her in some other stuff. But I looked at her filmography, and I don't think I have. I don't think I've seen any of the other things she's been in. So it'd be but. great if she married Drakey Stainer because she'd be Tara Nutter Stainer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so it's it's very interesting that there's little things like that, and there's little moments where people are just standing around for the benefit of the stuff. And I think this might be also. Let me correct me if I'm wrong. Is this Jack Palance's first time on the show? Uh, I think it. No, no, tang, Tango and Tango oh. and Cash. Oh, right, so it's his first Cash time. Cash and Tango. <laughs> yeah, it's his first time for me on the show. Not yes. the first time for him on the GGTMC, but first time. And I think it might be the first time Martin Landau's been on the show. Yeah, it's not the first time for Cameron Mitchell. Or David Caruso. Or David Caruso, yeah. Or, or, oh, wait, did we cover Caruso in something I think, else? I think Caruso was in something we did, but I can't remember. I know there was the talk about him in King of New York, but... Yeah, they might have, he, I think he was in something. But either way, you, you know, I think it's 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 always great to see Palance, you know. I mean, these it's interesting to me. Jack Palance and Martin Landau, you would consider this stuff kind of B-movie material where they kind of were going into the, the nether region, so to speak, of campy horror films. And then, you know, just years later, they would both win Oscars. For best supporting actor, one for uh, City Slickers and one for Ed Wood. So it's interesting to me that just when you think you're down and out, that you're not. And and speaking of down and out, there's another character actor in Leo who sits at the bar. That's Neville Brand. And Neville Brand. Yes. He's a kind of infamous uh, character actor. He was in Eaton Alive, the Toby Hooper movie. And uh, Toby Hooper has a lot of great stories about him because he was a raging alcoholic. And uh, he's an interesting actor and stuff. And he never really, you know, he just kind of faded away. But uh, he always had a great face, great well-lined delivery. Doesn't have very many lines in this film. He might not have been remembered. Of course, he's sitting there with a beer in his hand. I have to wonder if that's a real beer or not. Thinking about his history, I would say it probably was. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, yeah, there's some great stories about Neville Brand. So look him up. You'll see some pretty great stuff. And he was, he was a good actor, man. He was, uh, he was uh, okay. I mean, he's, he did some really bad movies <laughs> in, his, in his career. But he did some really great ones, too. Stalag 17 comes to mind and a couple other things. So. I do like Eating Alive. That's actually one of the other Toby Hooper movies I really do kind of like. So, uh, anyway, get back into the thing here. Uh, telling Boy Scouts to collect souvenirs but no rattlesnakes because they carry germs? Really? You think that telling kids to not pick up rattlesnakes because they have germs on them would be the biggest thing you'd worry about? 
Um, yeah, I don't know that that's best uh, <laughs> advice or or the most uh, intellectually <laughs> true. And the kids are, you know, there's some pretty bad acting there, but it's interesting, you know. Nowadays, I don't even know if kids could get away with singing the bottles of beer on a wall song, because you know it would almost be considered politically incorrect for young yeah. children to be singing about beer. But back, you know, I can remember growing up, I sang the bottles of beer song all the time. Good point. Yeah. So you know, it was kind of interesting to see that, and that was kind of fun. Uh, there's there's a lot of illogical decisions in the film. This is one of the weaknesses. You know, there's running from the van into the woods instead of the bar. Uh, there's there's some other type of weird things that characters do for the benefit of the story. Now. You know, that's just something that happens in these kind of movies and stuff. You need that kind of stuff. But there's some weird moments. Uh, there's a weird moment where Palance cuts a whisker biscuit off a pole, which sounds more uh, fun than it actually was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's it's like, what the hell? You know, is that just a reason for him to show some more gooey spots and stuff? I think the best moments for me in the film overall are when you get these kind of B-movie or used to be A-movie legends all together. You know, the Landau palette scenes together. I mean, these are two guys that chew scenery like a motherfucker, man. And there's a scene in the bar where the lights go out and stuff. And they're seriously, both of these guys are chewing some scenery. Landau in particular is seriously chewing some scenery in this film. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, these guys will never be accused of underacting. If you paid them 20 bucks to show up on set, you're going to get your 20 bucks worth of acting. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Between the two of them, you know, I mean, there, there was like two, you know, two heavyweights going up against each other. But uh, it's pretty good. Uh, here's here's some of the, one of my favorite parts in the movie that just had me cackling with glee, okay? And see if you remember this. Someone needs to ask Jack Palance or Graydon Clark if running toward an alien and yelling alien is a good idea. <laughs> Again, not the most sound uh, logic or... Um strategy when dealing with seven foot tall aliens <laughs> it was so weird he's running he's going alien alien <laughs> and dango like, and cash <laughs> yeah. yeah what is this bat man <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's so weird uh you know jack palance of course you know one of the great actors with his great delivery uh, you know, one of the great bag actors because he had such a great face. Well, you know, he'll come up a lot more on the show because he did some spaghetti westerns and stuff that we had. A lot of Euro um, crime films. Too. Yeah, a lot of Euro crime stuff. I mean, he's going to come up often on the show. He's not come up a whole lot yet in our, you know, near 100 episodes, but I'm sure he'll be up quite often because he's one of those kind of great character actors that I'm, you know, so glad did so much work because he's, he's always good, you know, in everything. Even in bad movies, he's good. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, he just kind of brings it. You know, he's kind of just, he plays the heavy really well, and he's got a unique delivery and stuff. And Landau, he's fun too. Landau kind of, he, he's done some junk in his uh, career and stuff, but he's done some really good stuff too. I mean, he's a good actor, you know. And, uh, you know, of course, I talked about Neville Brand stuff, but it's a lot of fun. And then, you know, Kevin Peter Hall kind of shows up and, and uh, you know, kind of in a very unconvincing alien uniform, but it's 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 fun for what it is i mean it's this is not this is not a reinvention of the wheel type film but it does kind of predate predator a little bit it does kind of show maybe where some ideas for predator came from some not a lot but you get you get some basic ideas there so that's really all i got on uh, without warning okay let me power through some notes here um the uh actually never mind that's probably gonna matter um, neither is that. So, uh, Joey, the uh, the son who gets killed in the beginning, call me nitpicky, but he wasn't exactly dressed for hunting. I mean, <laughs> he was wearing an electric blue Hawaiian shirt and no. faded jeans. You know what he was dressed for? 
success. Yeah, and Andy Sadar's film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or possibly yeah. the the uh, second billing in a Harry Reams movie from the seventies. Yes. <laughs> or an Al Adamson film from the eighties. Yeah, Absolutely. there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the uh, the flesh frisbees or whatever you want to call them, uh, they're good once they're in place. Yes. But when they're flying, not so much because you can clearly see that they've rigged up fishing line on either end of it. Yes. Just kind of ran it down like a like a, a zip line or something towards wherever it was going. How do they get it? Um, how do they get them spinning though? That's what I want to know. They spin them. They spin them pretty fast. They could. I, you know, I don't know. It's too early for me to think about. I'm trying to. Mm-hmm. Maybe with a ball bearing. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> uh, nice. I love how um, Palance, the, the hunter character, he's he makes him seem kind of like off kilter and just just a little off balance, mm-hmm. a little bit kooky. You know, which Palance can do very well. Um, yeah, he like, he like, they, they make him out to be a hunter. He's a he's a hunter. A gay, yeah, real big game hunter kind of. I, I eat you know, what I kill. Yeah, he lives in the dark and yeah. mounts everything on his wall. And He lives you know. in what I like to call movieville, where he lives in one of those houses where the cobwebs are so insane yeah. <laughs> that uh, you know you can't see anything. It's like, Jesus, clean, clean your house, dude. And the thing that's great is he doesn't have like mounted heads of the animals. He has like mounted from like <laughs> the, the, the groin up and the paws and the head and everything. Like <laughs> It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Another another character actor that was in the film, uh, Larry Storch, of course, he plays ah, a yes. scoutmaster, done a lot of stuff. He's a familiar face more than he is a familiar name, certainly. Hollywood Squares-esque um, Larry Storch. Yes, <laughs> yes, and uh, he's, of course, in full-on Boy Scout regalia, and he's also mildly insane. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I love that, um, I love that uh, a la Potato Sack, Jason, this alien has, like, a wooden shack. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he's got a he's got a nice little wooden shack out in the middle of the woods. Yeah, um, and the one thing I do like about this kind of a film that it, it's a horror film, but it's got obviously sci-fi elements. Is the great thing is daytime doesn't make you any safer. Like this kind of alien could hunt daytime, nighttime. It doesn't matter, and we see that in the film. And I think that is one of the the strengths of something like this is when you get a horror film. I think you tend to see more nighttime action, so you know the daytime scenes are going to be more exposition or right. Or character building, whereas with this, you know, all bets are off. It, I will, it can be. Yeah, I will say I felt sorry for the actors because that lake looked cold. Yeah, it probably was shot in like Alberta or so, I don't know who. It, it looked from. really cold. I mean, the water was like you know that deep dark color and and the way it was shot and it looked like the time of the evening it was shot. I bet I'd bet money that they froze their balls off in that thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um. The main boyfriend in this film looks sort of like David Charvet and Joey Lawrence. Yeah, he does. He totally not does. A very, not very commanding on screen presence, but that's no. okay. Um, as usual with a lot of films from this time, uh, genre films, it's just a lazy score kind of really mars the mood of the film at times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just, you know, when you see a really shitty lazy score like this one, it just goes to show you how underappreciated sometimes a score is and how much it really adds to a film. Agreed. Because if, if if it had been a great score during this film, it would have really, really would have given it a lot more atmosphere. You know, it would have helped. Yes, I mean that's part of the problem with the movie. Is me is the the main hero is a bad actor. the The score is not something that I can whistle or something that set any tone or mood. 
by the time an alien shows up, uh, I kind of didn't care. I felt like they should have shown him a little bit more. So. Oh, he's very much underused. He's totally underused. There's just not enough. And like, there's a nice teaser with a great shadow of the alien, but they don't show the alien enough. Yeah, it's totally. You know, by the time it shows up, it's just it's too late. I'm already, I'm already thinking whisker biscuits are the evil thing of the day. Yeah. Oh no, I know. And there is some pretty decent pussy. Let me say the word pussy, not pussy, <laughs> yeah. uh, because it's written and, and looks the same. Some decent pussy goo from the victims in the in the potato sack shed. Yes, yes. I mean, there's, good. there's some good effects. I mean, the I mean, they're not they're not groundbreaking. They're not Oscar worthy, no. but they're they're pretty good they're practical okay. effects. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I don't know who did the He's, makeup for the film. I, I'm, I'm going to look through and see if I can find out who did the makeup while we're talking about it. Yeah, and and one thing I you know my, I think my biggest criticism of the film is something you kind of referenced is. Or maybe in a roundabout way, one of two major criticisms. One's the lack of alien. The the, the butter tart biscuit, whisker biscuit combo shows up a lot more than the actual alien does. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's probably to, to get to convey a sense of he can come from anywhere, but you need to see your, your villain a little more. And I think that ultimately what this film suffers from for me is, is too much of a teen subplot. Ah, uh, yeah. You know? You know how I would have loved this film to have been done is had Jack Palance and Martin Landau as old war buddies hunting, mm-hmm. and that's how it, it it is a bit more predator like the alien it's the alien versus them they know the land they've hunted it for years they have military experience um, it doesn't need to be as much testosterone it can be more of a savvy cat and mouse thing um, you know with the old guys but I, I would have loved to have seen that I mean I understand the business side of it you you make teens your central characters because teens are the number one demographic for horror films but mm-hmm. I often lament sometimes at, at how more much more interesting a film would be with more adult uh, central characters in it right right the makeup was done by Gregory Canham who is an Oscar winner so yes that would make sense what else has he done uh, oh I sh- there's too much to mention here is man. Okay. Uh, okay. too okay. much well, did some work on that. I'll just go through a couple went through this, did some work on the howling did some work on cyborg um, uh-huh. Kickboxer Two, <laughs> uh, a lot of stuff with the uh, Spielberg, Hoffa, Jesus, all kinds so, of stuff, man. He did a lot of big budget stuff then. Yeah. Bulletproof Monk, um, of all things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I felt like there was a lot of filler near the back end of the film with the discovery of the house and the, the teen couple looking through everything and the fucking music box and everything. It just felt like total filler. Like it yeah. just, it was just pointless. Yeah, he did. Uh, actually, interestingly, he did the Exorcism of Emily Rose and Watchmen. So there we go. Oh, wow. There you go. Um, the last note I have is the alien, uh, although he looked all right, he looked a little bit too much like leader from the Hulk as sort of a, <laughs> if he was a, a, the, the leader, no pun intended, of a, of a cult and wore a tunic. Yeah. Or the or, leader. Or, or, motors- <laughs> or if he hung out in discos. <laughs> or he hung out in discos. Or he wore the Thriller Michael Jackson jacket. He is he is an alien circa Studio 54. <laughs> He is at times. The thing that bothers me is you get an alien, and this is being nitpicky, but you get an alien, and you would think that him being able to navigate a ship here and and use a lot of technology that's far beyond what we know, that they wouldn't reduce him him to kind of a backwards mongoloid slowly busting through doors. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the stuff near the end where the, the teenage chick is kind of the foil for a lot of his stuff. It enters very standard slasher territory when I think an alien... You got to be careful because, you know, from a logical standpoint, he would be a little more advanced intellectually than through the door. Right, right. But you know, those are all my notes. Let me kick it over to you so we can get off this uh, off this one and onto some Firebase Gloria. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, 
So my MVT for the film, I'm going to go with Palance. He seemed to be the most consistent for me through the film. Uh, Landau kind of goes a little bonkers here and there. So, you know, I, I, sometimes it was okay. Other times, like when he's talking to the dark, it's like, uh, okay, whatever. Yeah. Uh, my make or break is going to be probably that scene in the bar. I like that scene a lot. That's just because you get the, you know, a lot of, almost everybody's together there. You get some good acting and stuff. Um, that's that's probably my favorite scene in the film. I mean, it, it wasn't like it was really... An ex, ex outstanding scene of uh, a scene scene of expo, of uh, exposition. I was going to say exploitation, but that would be that would be probably apt as well. Uh, but irregardless, Miles, it was uh, it was a good scene. Uh, I had fun with it. Um, my score for the film: I'm give it a six and a half. It's entertaining, not great. That's how I felt about it. What do you think? Okay. Uh, I thought that the what broke it for me, and it's not a total break, but what really lowered it for me was. The the overuse of the teens, they just were so pointless to the fucking film. Other than to have teens in peril. Yeah, they even um, they even go so far as to have Palance. Let me say this: I didn't say this in my notes. Palance is basically the old man, wild old man character from Friday the Thirteenth who warns them not to go to the camp. But but in an extended role, and I, I really did like Palance in it a lot. But my MVT is the concept. If not executed well, at the very least, it's a great concept that you know was used to much more effectiveness in or much was a much more effective use uh, with Predator a few yes. years later sure uh, and then my score is a 5.75 okay uh, out of 10 you know it's, it's a solid little film entertaining time waster it's nothing groundbreaking or earth shattering or incredible but you know it's worth a watch yeah, it's and ni- uh, it's nice and short yeah. that's the key I think it's not it's about 90 minutes or so it's nice and short yeah no, it's, it's serviceable for sure all right, so that is our thoughts on Without Warning. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the siege of Firebase Gloria. We'll be back right after this. Completely ridiculous movies. Completely ridiculous movies. Hi, I'm Brian, President and CEO of Movie Meltdown, that silly meandering show that gamers on about movies. And due to an overproduction of ridiculous movies in Hollywood, I am now overstocked with podcasts, and I'm passing the savings on to you. Kill time on the commute. Distract yourself from the drone of your workaday job. Drown out thoughts of your failing relationship or just completely ignore your bratty children. Whatever your podcast listening needs, Movie Meltdown has it for you. So come on down to the iTunes store or look for us at MovieMeltdown.com. That's Route 2 on the Information Superhighway. Ooh, let it crawl. That's uh, that's our funky sixteen corners track of the week, and that that's so funky. I just grew an afro. I was gonna say that is funky. <laughs> that is funky. It's like a taint after a sweaty day. Yay! Yay! yay. <laughs> Very funky. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's been a, lot, been a lot of weird talk this week on the show. A lot, a lot of, of weird talk, man. Yeah, a lot of talk. Clits and dicks and dildos and taints and whisker biscuits. Just a lot of 
<laughs> we are anatomy the, this week. <laughs> we are the perverted podcast. So, all right. Apparently. So our, our next film is uh, it's the Siege of Firebase Gloria. This is directed by Brian Trenchard Smith. This is, I believe, Mr. Smith. Is this his third or his fourth time on the show? This is the third, at least. We've yes. also done, of course, uh, the Man from Hong Kong and Escape Two Thousand, also known as and, Turkey Shoot. Yes, Turkey Shoot. So. This is another appearance from Mr. Trenchard Smith. And this is a little bit more of a work for hire type thing. This is 1989, so this is a little later in his career. But saying that, let's get into it a little bit here. I'm going to talk about the plot. A uh, tough sergeant and his sidekick roll into a demoralized firebase and proceed to rebuild morale and fortifications in advance of the climactic battle with the Viet Cong. So uh, I picked this film. It's been on the radar for a long time. Uh, I believe Ghetto Tim might have been the first person to bring this up to us. Uh, let's see. I might be wrong about that, so I apologize if I am, but. Either way, let's see what Large William thought of the siege of Firebase Gloria. Okay, so the first thing that's a pull for me is it's Trenchard Smith. Uh, the second thing is, of course, the pairing of the mighty Wingshauser and the mighty Arlie Ermey. Yeah. Uh, everyone else is pretty much no names uh, in the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, but those two, I mean, together, tuned up in a Vietnam film really is, is, is a, a great selling point. Um, <clears throat> now, what's interesting about this film... And of course, Arlie Army was riding the the Full Metal Jacket wave with this film a couple years later. Is um, actually, let me ask you: Have we done a war film? Is this our first war film? Uh, no, technically, we did the Last Hunter, which oh was wow, not a very good war film. So yeah, that's right. So this is our second uh, yeah. <laughs> war effort. Uh, <laughs> uh, marginally better than uh, the Last Hunter. Yes. 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 I think we can be. Yeah. Okay. We can be forthright about that. Yes. yes. Um, so yeah, he's riding the the wave of it, and uh, so the film opens up with some staked heads and raped women and killed children and stuff. And yeah, that's pretty hardcore stuff. I was <clears> kind of surprised by that. Yeah, it opens up really nasty. So you know, we kind of see the horrors of war early on, which uh, which is a good thing for dramatic effect, certainly. Well, yeah, um, it establishes establishes the environment quickly. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, now, one thing I did find different about this film that was interesting and I think it's reasonably well pulled off despite kind of a hammy script at times uh, is that Ermi is in a role with a little more humanity it's not uh, Gunnery Sergeant Hartman there's traces of that in this film which I I love because I mean it's just he does it so well I never get tired of it but a lot of times it's a more restrained uh, introspective and human performance yes and you know he was a a drill sergeant in real life so he really knows how to speak it, and he has a certain style in the way he speaks it. And you get bits and pieces of it, which made me smile too. But yeah, I like that. You get a little bit more of uh, the human aspects, uh, not the kind of robotic nature of a, of, a, of a leader. He's very. There's a lot of really good quiet moments in the film with him. Yeah, no, there there definitely is, and it was just nice to change the pace because it would have been easy for just him to bark the whole movie and I'm glad Trenchard Smith let him have a little more humanity instead of being a cartoon right um, they did shoot in the Philippines which is great you can't you can mask a lot of things but if you're shooting a jungle film you need some jungle and then you could tell very obviously that <laughs> there's some great jungle shots in this film are you, are you saying that uh, Deadly Prey did not, was not convincing jungle <laughs> well the backwoods of Michigan uh <laughs> doesn't quite work as uh, as jungle. <laughs> that was the one I was thinking of as I was talking about it, actually. It's funny you say that. Um, you know, Trenchard Smith is a good workman director with, with some some high points in his uh, filmography as well as some more workman standard efforts. But one a moment in this film I wish he had have had the sense to stretch out a little bit more was 
there's a moment when they come across like a, a like a very small like a fishing community, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a moment when they're they're not certain, they're reasonably certain actually that the these fishermen, these quote unquote fishermen, are not in fact fishermen, and when they're walking along and they got to be cool until something happens. Right. And I wish they had to stretch that moment out a little bit more because they were start for the first few seconds of it, it only lasts about ten seconds. I'm like, oh man, this is getting really fucking tense. I wish they had to stretch it a little bit more before mm-hmm. they they blew the lid off it. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, but uh, small criticism. <clears throat> There's a boy in this film. You know, some of these films feature children, and I think children obviously are most impacted by the the horrors of war. It just you know, uh, women and children. It it you know really is sad. Especially being a father now, I found as hammy a device as it is, it did kind of get to me a little bit in this because I think, oh man, what if that was my boy and right. and he saw this and. The small thing that they did that that took it a bit from being cliche to being a little more poignant for me was when you know because the Americans saved the boy and and they 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 have to bring him from point A to point B mm-hmm. and uh, there's a moment they're shooting off all their guns and everything and they stop and they can see the boy's crying he's hysterical and he's plugging his ears mm-hmm. and I actually really like that because I think that that would be a pretty um, that's a pretty realistic representation of what would happen. You know, noises can scare children, especially a lot of guns going off and things like that. So I thought maybe he might have been. That. Yeah, it was very good. I also thought he might have been covering his ears because how loud Wingshauser was chewing gum. Yes, <laughs> yes, and of course, you know, it wouldn't be a Vietnam film if at least one character wasn't from Brooklyn and referenced the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, always. <laughs> and that, and that is of course, you always get the 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 guy from Indiana or the Midwest. You always get the black guy from Detroit, which we also have in this with shortwave. Yeah. And then we get, of course, the guy from Brooklyn. Yes. You know, I'm surprised. They're, they're, all they needed to round it out was like a Jewish kid uh, from New York, and then like an Italian kid from uh, like Mulberry Street or something. <laughs> nice. But uh, yeah, those are <laughs> those are like the Vietnam Vietnam movie kind of character staples. Um, there's a scene when they they come across. I think it was when they got to Gloria, and uh, there was just the fire base. And uh, there's a really fucking baked out uh, CO, and he's they literally walking on him masturbating. You can tell because his breathing's a bit pacier than it should have been. And right. I like that scene because they actually come up to because soldiers and the soldiers say, "Oh, he's probably in there jacking off." And then they walk yeah. in there, and that's what he was doing. He was yeah. <laughs> but I love that he pulls out this centerfold and he says. Does she or doesn't she have the greatest set of tits you've seen in your whole life? And I gotta say, man, for 1967 or whatever, 69, whatever this was, that was a pretty impressive uh, set on that that, yes. that dame. Yes, um, she's a famous playmate. I can't remember her name, but she's a famous. Yeah, I've one. seen I've seen that shot before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really nice. It's kind of a defying of gravity type situation there. Unbelievable, man. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. and I love. I think you know another line I loved in this film because this is a pretty kind of clumsy middle of the road script for the most part. Uh, where the same guy, the, the fucking baked out uh, CO, there he's he's just he's so annoyed that you know he says we have complete air superiority yet we can't freeze a few gallons of ice cream. <laughs> yes. He's really annoyed that their freezers are broken down. Yeah, he really wanted ice cream. That's what he kept saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the one guy that I think he talks about Minnie or Missy or something, his woman back home, he looked a bit like C. Thomas Howell. Yeah, yeah, he did. Actually, yeah, you know, you're right. That's why I couldn't place that, but you're right about that. He looked like the old C. Thomas. Uh, <laughs> and again, we, we kind of see some other dialogue where a few of the guys are talking about Mighty Most versus Underdog, and I have to think QT saw that, or that's the kind of stuff that he likes in films. Oh, I mean, yeah. It 
I totally agree with that. I wrote that note down. Is that a Tarantino moment, the Mighty Mouse underdog moment? Uh, you know, we know that Quentin Tarantino is a huge Brian Trenchard Smith film. I ha- film fan. I have to believe that you know he got a little of that pop culture type moment from from this film. I, I have to believe that. Oh yeah, it's a total oh, Tarantino moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it definitely is. Um, I you know we we kind of talked about this. I love when the moments when Ermy does get on a roll and he just starts with that. <laughs> You know, just with just tearing a strip off someone's ass. <laughs> oh, I love that, so that, that scene where he's carrying the head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's fucking outstanding. <laughs> yeah, he, he's got, you know, he's got a few of those moments. And they, they I'm glad they do keep it kind of, so they're selective about it. They don't, you yeah. know, yeah. kill it too much. Um, so, yeah. Now, and then there's a great moment with him where I think it really kind of uh, illustrates... What it's all about uh, when there's some some uh, like teenage prostitutes coming towards the C. Thomas Howell and uh, he sees that they're suicide bombers and and Arlie Ermey kind of shakes the guy and says, "Listen, this is Vietnam. Even the girls have balls here." And <laughs> yeah, he's kind of talk. I just I love that line and I think you know at a time like that it was such a desperate situation and yeah, it's got a great payoff too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the the pair of clackers on that one. No. <laughs> Uh, but no, the uh, I got to say, you know, one thing he's really known for that being Trenchard Smith is his ability to shoot action. And as much as a lot of it was by the numbers, I think there were the ability to shoot that many people in that crazy of battle scenes is, is still pretty impressive, especially on a lower budget like he would have had. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, the explosions and stuff, all that stuff in a Brian Trenchard Smith film, everything looks dangerous. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are some moments in here where you think to yourself, Jesus, I mean, how did not, nobody, I mean, I don't know if anybody did or not, but how did nobody get seriously injured on this thing? Oh, yeah. Mass, oh, massive explosions. There are some serious <laughs> explosions. Uh, there's there's a great kind of atmospheric moment when uh, a camera rolls past a bunch of dead VC and you can kind of hear the flies buzzing around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. It just it instantly kind of gives you that, that, that feel. It just kind of grimy, rotted. You know, sweaty. Um, and one thing he, I think he does well in this film too is that there's a bit of a more balanced side to things. You see the VC side a little bit. Um, you see the you know, some of the VC, the, the the soldiers in it joking around and and stuff. It wasn't just black hat, white hat. I mean, you know, yeah. the Americans are still very clearly the heroes, but I think you, they give a little more humanity to the other side in this. Right. Yes, I agree. Um, one thing, I, I, a criticism I have, I have to be honest, is once they actually get to the titular Firebase Gloria, uh, it really starts to lag for me. I like the first half a lot, but then it gets kind of, it drags down a bit. And I think that part of the reason is the first half was a good balance of emotional, quiet moments um, peppered with some action, whereas the second half is a lot of action. But after a while, you kind of start to tune it out because it's the same old song over and over. Yeah, yeah. It turns into a little bit of a siege movie, but unfortunately... Some of the siege elements aren't that entertaining outside of the helicopter pilot's awesome hairdo. And his awesome Stars and Stripes headband, and he looks sort of like Jake Busey. <laughs> yeah. With a ginger buzz, like a ginger kind of spiked hairdo. Yeah, he's that kind of a rebel pilot who goes against the orders, and he's one of those characters. But he's also, yes. it seems like he might be a little bit rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a pretty ham-handed scene with uh, with wings and his, what does is, what is Arlie Ermey call them, his... Uh, his Tibetan monk beads when yeah, yeah. Wings is kind of bitter and he says fuck the war and fuck the marines and I gotta say you know Wings is incredible at, at, at being sort of a force of nature chewing it up but when he has to do vulnerability 
at least in this film, it's not as impressive. Yeah, yeah, he does. Uh, he he's a little clunky in this. I mean, Wingshauser's a good actor. I mean, he's he's over the top, uh, and sometimes that works great, like Vice Squad and some other films. But you know, this one, he he he. The problem I think in this film is he goes from zero to sixty too quick. Like one minute he's kind of doing the peaceful, kind of quiet warrior thing, and then the next minute he's like totally bonker crazy, and then oh, he kind yeah. then he kind of goes back to it. And you have some really good moments between him and the kid. And uh, stuff like that. I like the moment with them playing the flute and stuff. Uh, there's some good moments in there and stuff. But you're right. You know, some of the dramatic pieces and lines he has to deliver are kind of, uh, kind of clunky. I, w- I, w- I don't want to say they're bad. I just think they're misguided. I think yeah, Trenchard Smith. Yeah, Trenchard Smith should have maybe stepped in a little bit. But Hauser just seems like a like a powerhouse and kind of the a powerhouser, so to speak. It seems yes. like uh, he might be the kind of actor who you know says you know this is how I want to do this and probably nobody else gets to say in that <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what i mean he, I did. Just, he just seems like that kind of guy he seems like on set he's like well this is what i think would work and everybody's like oh okay whatever wings wants wings gets yes exactly now i do think that i heard that arlie Ermey actually wrote the screenplay although he's not credited as such yeah and i i get some sense of that i get some sense of that and my biggest problem with the film to kind of go into my notes a little bit because i'm getting ready to go into them here in a minute anyway my biggest problem with the film is I actually, I don't know how you felt about it, but I actually think the narration is, I don't think it's any value add. Uh, I think it's okay. I don't think it's bad. Again, I think it kind of, it became a bit of a, a, a staple of the Vietnam film, mm-hmm. I think a little bit by that time. Yeah. Um, it was okay. Again, neither here nor there. Um, I, I think what bothered me the most was the synthy music. Uh, uh, yeah. It's a Vietnam film, and I guess really <laughs> when I thought about it, they probably didn't have the money to clear a lot of the 60s music that they needed. Um, but I would have preferred something different, some reasonable facsimile of 60s music or or some classical stuff that would have been used to greater effect. But to have synthy music in a fucking Vietnam film, again, talk about scores, kind of took me out of it. Um, yeah. I thought there was kind of a funny twirling mustache moment of villainy with uh, with Pee Wee and, and the VC soldier. Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> pretty kinda, funny. <laughs> kind of bizarre and, and a bit of a surprise ending for me. I have to say the way it shook out uh, for one of the characters, I was a bit surprised. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so those are all my notes. All right, so I'll go into a few things. Uh, again, you talked about the opening. It's pretty good. Uh, Wingshauser holding a gun. I put this on your Facebook page, actually. Uh, not exactly the most convincing rifle rifleman that's ever walked in cinema. Uh I can see. No, he's he's no Arlie (laughs) Ermey. Yeah, there's some pretty funny moments with the way he holds a gun. I don't know if he was trained that way or what, but there's just some really weird moments with him and the gun, and then of course the chewing of the gum. He loves to chew gum and smile. This is Wingshauser at his finest. He loves to do that kind of stuff. He's always got the you know. To me, he's always going to have like one of the creepiest smiles ever. Um, I did like the decision that was made at the camp. I don't want to get into it, but you know, I like the decision they make about the other CO and. And some things that were done there, uh, but you know, I like that. It kind of showed that camaraderie and that trust that Donardo and uh, Arlie Ermey's character had. And then of course, you get the good scene where they're talking about the kind of like the father-son relationship they have and and stuff like that, which I didn't think was bad. I thought some of the scenes between Hauser and 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 Ermey were probably the best parts of the movie um, for me. Uh, the action's great, but I expect that from Brian Trenchard Smith. I mean, it's not over the top, but it's still pretty impressive. I mean, you get helicopters and. And, uh, you know, massive explosions and stuff. And you know what it reminded me of? Did you ever see that Mel Gibson movie, We Were Warriors? 
Uh, we were soldiers. We were soldiers. Yeah, we were warriors. I never, I never have actually. I think you're thinking of once were warriors. Yeah, once were warriors. There we go. <laughs> or the warrior. Who knows? Anyway, either way, uh, we were soldiers. Yeah, that one. That reminds me of that kind of battle. There's these moments of back and forth, and people aren't too far away from each other, and the violence is pretty intense and and stuff. Um, but you know, I I kind of like that a little bit. I mean, it is basically a siege movie, and. I had some fun with it. I mean, uh, that one. The only other actor you'll even notice is the actor who played the uh, the African American man that got shot by Dirty Harry in the first Dirty Harry film. Uh, that was on the ground, you know, when, you know, talking about when Dirty Harry was talking about the ketchup on his hot dog, and you know his gun, the forty four <laughs> Magnum, blow your head clean off. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, uh, there's a good line in there, uh, a poignant line, and probably one of the most uh, a, a more poignant line maybe than this film deserved. Which was uh, politics make things hard, especially when you have to die for them. Yeah, that was good. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, that's a really deep line for like a you know a B Vietnam movie that's coming off the hills of you know put the platoon and uh, Full Metal Jacket. Because you know after after those Vietnam movies, after Platoon especially, uh, everybody was churning out these Vietnam movies. There was you know Hamburger Hill. There was all these like low budget uh, um, uh, Vietnam movies that came out. And uh, some of them were good, some of them were not good. Uh, this one is probably in the middle somewhere. But, uh, you know, it, it's fun. It, it's pretty pacey. It's not real long. It's a little longer than it needs to be. I didn't like the narration that much. I thought it was kind of clunky in spots. Some of Hauser's dramatic line deliveries were a little clunky in spots. But I still, he's still a very magnetic presence on screen. I still, every time he's on screen, I can't stop watching him. Yes. And, uh, you know, still very good and stuff. I mean, this is no Ramrod, but this is Ramrod goes to Vietnam a little bit. No, it's not. <laughs> he didn't have the coat hangers or anything like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he is, he is, uh, he is good in the film. And, and like you said, I agree with you. Army's good. They, they dial back the drill sergeant thing, which is key because, you know, at, at this point, you know, we all knew him as Gunnery Sergeant Hartman. We all knew him as that character. And he'll forever be that character. I mean, Stanley Kubrick made him this, this, this thing that's, you know, they, you know he'll never be anything about that to me in some ways, but that's okay. I think he's pretty good in this film. He tries some dramatic acting. And he doesn't do a bad job. He's okay. He, he doesn't expose himself as being shit. That's for sure. Yeah, for somebody that didn't have any acting ability before he got into movies, I mean that's still pretty impressive. You know, so he, he's yeah. had a oh, for sure. colorful life. I mean, I'd, I'd like to read a book about Mister Army. He's had an interesting life, to say the least. Uh, so. Those are my thoughts on Firebase Gloria. I mean, it's 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 on Netflix Instant Watch. Let me say that as well. Uh, for those of you in the states, um, which is amazing how good the print is on that thing on the, there, but uh, it was a, uh, it was a, uh, I think both films this week were good little time wasters. But anyway, let's hear what you got to say. Make or break MVT and whatnot. Make or break is uh, the, you talked about this. The scenes with Ermy and Hauser, I like them together. They're quiet nice. moments because you need to have humanity in war films. You can't just have a, you know, the fucking ESPN highlight of the night. Like it's. It's got to be, you know, moments, the quiet moments that allow you to care about characters. So I, I like that. I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't always handled the greatest or right. was a bit, you know, right. uh, clunky at times, but it was still serviceable. Uh, and my MVT is just, again, the combination of, of Hauser and, and Ermi. Um, if this had been two more no-names, this from really would have been, a, like if it had been, what's his name there, uh, from from uh, the, the last war film, uh, fuck. What, The Last Hunter? Yeah. Uh, David Warbeck? Geez. If it had been Warbeck, I would have wanted to kill myself again. <laughs> oh, come on, Warbeck takes his shirt off like no man. Again, Warbeck, man, just a black hole of charisma, as we said. <laughs> yeah. um, and my score for the film is a 6.25. Okay. Um, 
you know, I think it's a decent little, again, decent little film. If you're into war films and stuff, it's pretty good. I think the, the novelty of seeing those two uh, in the film, Ermie and Hauser's worth the price of admission. Uh, yeah, so there you go. All right, all right, all right. So me and you are dead ringers except for everything but the score. We, I both, my make or break is the scene between Hauser and Ermie, and my MVT is Hauser and Ermie, the same as yours. So we're dead on there. My score is a little bit higher than yours. It's a point higher. Uh, I like I I got seven point two five out of it. Um, I, I I don't know. I I kind of got into it a little bit. It kind of got to me a little bit in spots, and it was entertaining. And uh, you know, I had some fun with it. I had some. The camaraderie was not as good as I'd want it to be. Especially the biggest weakness of the film, I think, is that all the other characters are so background. They just they have no real character yeah. to them. Even the C. Thomas Howell guy, they try to bring him to the forefront, but you just don't care yeah. with, with with his fate. You just don't care. Yeah, and that's the biggest problem with the movie is that all these other characters are just basically filler for these scenes between Ermy and Hauser. So, so it's very flawed, but still very good and much better than a lot of Brian Trenchard Smith's later output. Trust me. So, so you know, hopefully he'll get back to the way he used to be. But uh, you know, I give it a seven point two five. So, so six point two five and seven point two five. So it's it, it's a good time waster. So. <laughs> what are you laughing about? <laughs> just uh, sorry. Just I was. I wanted to check your polls thing on the boards, and there's there's something about that shiftless wrote in response to Emily's criticism of Tenebrae that uh, <laughs> mentions your favorite, the crazy dogs. So my apologies. I didn't mean to be rude there. I was immersed in that for a moment. Yes, yes, yes. I saw her comments on Tenebrae. I think she liked it a little bit less than I did. Believe it or not. So. Yeah, and I'm terribly sorry, Sammy. That was horribly rude of me. No, that's okay. It gives everybody a little taste of what the boards are going to bring back. <laughs> this, te- this heat's getting me, man. Like, I got the fucking spaghetti sweat, and it's 10 o'clock in the fucking morning. Oh, it's going to be a long day for you, brother. I'd, I'd go to somebody's house today if I was you. We're going. We're taking William to a splash pad. Uh, there you go. With my, there you so. go. There you go. Well, you know, if you keep sitting in the, uh, you keep sitting in the non-air conditioned house, every time you sit down in a leather chair, it'll be a splash pad. If you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I record in a leather chair, so <laughs> there you, you go. Know, so do I. I've by been, the way, <laughs> I've been sitting upright the whole time, so I don't have to peel my back off it. <laughs> All right, nice. All right, so that's our thoughts on the siege of Firebase Gloria. We're gonna take a short break. We have a massive amount of feedback to go over, so we will be back right after this. This fall, you will be introduced to Palaver.com. Palaver.com is your new home for all your favorite podcasts, blogs, and your favorite internet personalities. Palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Your first stop for all of your guilty pleasures. Yeah, that's 
All right, so we are back, and we got quite a bit of listener feedback to get into. So that was a uh, band that uh, I don't think I think everybody overlooked them. They're called Portugal the Man, and that album is called The Satanic Satanist, <laughs> and they sound totally different than what any of that implies. <laughs> yeah, they they definitely do. Uh, they sound pretty good. They have a slight slight oasis feel not i guess more in the vocals than anything else but yeah they yeah. sound pretty good man yeah they got uh, that album's really really good uh but uh, yeah again it's got a strange title and also you heard the promo for you know the new uh board destination where we're going to be so bill put that together so i thought we'd go ahead and play it so yes and now i believe unless i haven't been on the boards in a couple of days uh that's as of september 1st is that correct yes i believe so by the time most people get done listening to the show, it'll be up, I guess. Or, yeah, the yeah. day of. So you can go check it out. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Great boards. Um, Stefan, Philippe, Rachel. Who else worked on it? Um, no, I don't know. There's so many of them. I couldn't a bunch of people put a lot of time, their free time into this um, to make it work. The boards are infinitely better. Not just saying that than the ones over at Pop Syndicate. We had a lot more um, customization and options. So... You can post video on the site now. It's just really good stuff. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So. <sighs> first first yawn of the morning. Yeah, it won't be the last. <laughs> no, it will not. <laughs> All right. So I guess we should uh, do that thing called emails. Um, yes. <laughs> fuck, I'm getting off to a smashingly good start. Give me one more second here and I'll. <laughs> Actually, can you read the can yeah. you read the first one? I, I got the first one. Something. It's from uh, Evidence again, I believe. Uh, he wrote back in. But I think that was I think that was for off the air, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Oh, actually, that is good. Yeah, good call. Uh, but thanks for that. We'll go ahead and say that on the air. He sent some uh, good uh, Dutch film uh, suggestions, so we appreciate that. Uh, let's go with the next one then. Oh, let me also say thank you, and I'll be checking some of those out. And as we do, I'll let you know. Uh, yeah. Of course. So thank you very much. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this thing uh, Greg sent us about the uh, the YouTube video. You might want to just mention a thank you for that. Uh, I would love to. Uh, and in fact, I've just finished what I was doing right now. I was just updating our roadmap. If you uh, see a saxophone in the first act, it must go off in the third. Yeah, this is a pretty incredible um, link he'd sent us. Uh, I, I'd said it in my reply to him that it really does rival Cunt Smasher. Uh, because the saxophonist in this it brings the saxy like I've never seen. So basically what you need to type to find this is Thierry Pastor, which is T-H-I-E-R-R-Y, P is in Paul, A-S-T-O-R. And then the uh, song name is Sur, S-U-R, Day, D-E-S, Music, which is M-U-S-I-Q-U-E-S-N-O-I-R-E-S. And I know that's a mouthful. Yeah, but it is so worth it when you see this this Billy Blanks motherfucker <laughs> go off on the saxophone beside this guy who looks like a Greek fob who thinks he's George Michael. So on think, the keyboards, I guess the it's a mouthful. It's the same thing Chasey Lane said to Tom Byron yesterday. So there I imagine it would have been. <laughs> but yeah, this oh man, this saxophonist is just sent from the heavens. If we didn't have as much feedback as we did, I'd play it on the air a little bit, but we got so much feedback, we better just go ahead and keep going. But I thank Greg for sending that to us. Yes, Alright, so true. our first email is from Michael H. over in uh, the British Isles. He says, greetings from the British Isles from the Keyboard Monkey. I guess he wants to be called the Keyboard Monkey, so maybe we should just call him that. Yes. Um, at the time of this email being read out, I'll be more than likely on vacation, unless it gets pushed back for episode 98. 
Unless one of you can physically project episode 97 to my brain while I'm on the hills of Derbyshire, England. Derbyshire? Derbyshire? Uh, I'll be unable to listen to it until a week later. I have included photos in this email of what Derbyshire, Ikea, Derbyshire looks like for anyone who is interested. It is as beautiful of a countryside as it is shown in the photos, though there's a 50-50 chance of it raining and a lot more sheep shit everywhere on the past that probably don't show up. Uh, yeah, It is England, after all. That adds that's that adds to the place's character, though, and it wouldn't feel like Derby, Derbyshire. I, I, I shouldn't pick this one to read without without them. <laughs> I've also included in the images attached to this email the DVD cover of the re-release Possession I talked about last week. The company who is releasing this second site is not the same one who are releasing Vegas Vampires, but are, in fact, a company who have released a lot of art house films. They do stretch out to include their back catalog, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and some other cult gems. In terms of the last episode or so, I just want to mention something I forget I forgot in the last email about the film called The Harvest. I haven't seen it, but I have seen a screenshot of a certain male actor, a famous one, dressed in a denim jacket with only a glittery bra on underneath, covering his bare chest in a blonde curly wig from the, from this film in my youth. <laughs> the talk about it during the Neon Maniacs review brought that image back to my memory, uh, <laughs> which we're still not going to give away if everybody just needs to look it up. Yes. <laughs> in terms of films I've seen, I only want to mention two. Since Stone Cold is not available in the UK, a crime if there ever was one, I rewatched Cobra instead. It's amazing how much my opinion has changed on it, enjoying it greatly. Sadly, Stallone's patented scissor diet, where instead of eating a whole piece of uh, junk food, you can just cut a small piece off with scissors, never caught on. My opinions on the second film, the Swedish film The Ape, is going to be a controversial since after your negative view at the TIFF coverage, I actually thought it was a gem for this year. Something about its vagueness really engaged me. It did not matter why certain events happened in it for me without spoiling anything, but what their effect on the main protagonist was as I watched him meander around in the film, which I found fascinating and compelling. Why attempt, why attempt to explain why certain events happened in the face the problem of making the explanation generic by accident when you can get so much more effect from the showing only of the results of it. Only result, you, can get, you know what I'm saying. There we go. Finally, to end this long email, I'm sadly going to have to end it with mentioning a death. But since I hold this director in high regard, he has affected me greatly when I heard about his passing and I felt it. I had to talk about it. On August 24th, Satoshi Kon, the director of anime films Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress, and Paprika, died suddenly of pancreatic cancer at the age of 46. Not only is this sad because he died so young, but for me, he was one of the most interesting and visionary directors in Japanese anime. A film director of any type who I admire greatly in both animated and live action features. What makes this even more significant is that despite working the medium for at least 10 years or more, Khan was still seen as a bright new star in anime, in a medium that is precariously in danger of becoming stale and suffering from internal struggles from people who work in it. The last thing that it needed was one of his most imaginative directors to have passed. Hopefully some good can come from this. Like the passing of people like Dennis Hopper has, in that his work will be looked at by more people. I absolutely recommend anyone to look at this Perfect Blue, or look at his work, Perfect Blue or Tokyo Godfathers being good starting points to anyone who hasn't seen any of his films. I myself have not seen his TV series Paranoia Agent yet, but I now will watch it. The only thing of concern is that Khan left a film unfinished. Uh, Cone, Khan. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. I bet I'm not. Khan? Yeah, I guess it is. Described as a robot road movie called The Dream Machine, but I seriously doubt the studio will scrap it and hopefully finish it so fans can have one final film. With that, I'll have to sign off. While I'm at Derbyshire, Derbyshire, I will have at least one back catalog episode on the show on the iPod, so I will not have to worry about lacking the weekly dose of Gentleman's Guide. At some point, I may be sitting on a giant rock on a hill surrounded by sheep, all of us listening to the show with regards, <laughs> Michael. So, And he sent some nice pictures there of uh, Derbyshire. Derbyshire. <laughs> yes, <laughs> looks Derbyshire. Like, yeah. Looks like the kind of place like in America where London, like stay on the roads. 
<laughs> yeah, it does look very British. I'll say this, um, as much as your countryside's beautiful, um, the beaches leave a little bit to be desired, um, but this really is beautiful country. I kind of, when he'd send a few of those shots, I tried to kind of immerse myself in it and just imagine you know, being there. Mm -hmm. it, it would really be a... Really be something, but no. Enjoy your vacation. Uh, he does sign off with Michael H, so uh, we can maybe toggle between Michael H and the keyboard monkey. But um, <laughs> what else does he say in there about Satoshi Kon? Yeah, I mean, he's one of the few guys in an uh, anime who I would, you know, check out on a regular basis. Um, only because he kind of rises above the cliche or the preconceived notion. I think a lot of us have of right. anime. Some of it is kind of, uh, you know. Not the greatest, so yeah, it, it is sad because he was a visionary filmmaker who transcended his genre. Yeah, that's what anime needs more of. It needs more original uh, filmmakers. I think. I think sadly, it kind of relies on its tropes a little too much. Yeah, unfortunately. All right, that's all. I don't really have anything else to add. I read a lot about Derbyshire. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Let's uh, let's get into the next one here. Sorry, I'm. Still we got another one from England. This one's from our Mank friend. Yes. And, uh, of course, he says, no subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Howdy, gents. Just quickie regarding last time. Maybe one to check out. Regarding overused lines in films, I seem to remember regarding that, let's get out of here. It's the most overused. And get some sleep now. <laughs> it's the second most overused. Uh, Sammy was asking which movie featured some sniffing a dildo. And I'm proud to say I know the answer. The yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the Edge of Darkness, British miniseries from 1985. I saw it recently and couldn't believe it. Bob Peck is going through his daughter's bedroom drawer. I don't want to say the next line. Yeah. Uh, whatever it's worth. Uh, he opens the drawer and pulls out a dildo and proceeds to sniff it. <laughs> it was a complete what-the-fuck moment in an otherwise pretty straightforward thriller. If you have any more sex toy-related questions, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. <laughs> anyway, keep up the great work. I'm intrigued to know how you guys fit in so many movies per week. Uh, but with work and children commitments, I'm lucky to get through three or four a week. And they're in 20 minute segments. Take care and big congratulations for the 100th episode. If I don't email before, you guys are at the top of your game. And I look forward to hearing your show every week. You have a great rapport. It's funny, incisive, intelligent, informative. Makes my hairy nipples hard. Stay gold, pony boys. <laughs> Quint, sex. <laughs> Stay gold, pony boys. Uh, as far as, yeah, that, that he, Quint was the one who uh, I think he direct messaged me or something on Skype or maybe sent me an email or something and. Wanted to see if I saw the same thing when I watched uh, Edge of Darkness miniseries that Bob Peck pulled that dildo out of his daughter's and sniffed it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so disturbing. <laughs> it is a what the fuck moment. It's like, what did he just do? Uh, yeah. The other is a really bizarre <laughs> choice to have him do that. It's one of those things a father would not want to know. <laughs> yeah. uh, the only thing I can think is that maybe he didn't know what it was. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he's one of these kind of people who always has oh, to yeah. sniff things, you know. I don't know. But being a cop and working in, you know, he's yeah. probably seen a few things. I don't know, but I'd like to hope that's what their yeah. misguided thing was because, um, yeah, it uh, just otherwise it's pretty repulsive. <laughs> well, you ask how uh, we see so many movies. Uh, I know I have a top secret motive of seeing movies, and it's uh, something I learned from Ian over at Cinerama and stuff. I rip a lot of movies to my iPod and my iPhone. And, uh, you know, I carry them around with me, and I still watch them in 20-minute segments, but uh, I keep a catalog with me at all times. And now, in the States, on this 3G uh, iPhone I have, uh, I can actually stream movies off my Netflix account to my phone, and it works incredibly well. So now I have another 20-something thousand films I can access at any point, any time, anywhere I want to go. 
So I always have access. I've, I've managed somehow to take technology and manipulate it to my sick little needs, which is film. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's the way it goes, you know. And also I'm a manager and I don't really do any physical work. I just kind of sit at a desk. So it gives me a lot of opportunity to do stuff like that. As for me, I also try to squeeze in a few on the weekends once I've finished all my work. Um, doesn't always happen, but I usually try to squeeze a few in there. Usually when I come home from work, it's late. I'll try to do half of one one night, half of one the next night. Um, and then, you know, when it's nap time for my son, I do. But lately, I've been really tired and run down. So at night after work, I haven't. When my son's napping, I'm napping with them. Like, that's why you'll see, you know, as you heard this week, in the past few weeks, I've watched like four to six films the past few weeks. Like, whereas a few few months ago, I was doing 10, 11, 12, 14. I just thought about it this morning. I'm like, man, how did I fucking watch so many movies? Yeah, yeah. All right. So thanks for that, Quint. I hadn't heard from him for a little while. I know he's still out there. I know he's busy being a dad and everything. Uh, With a beautiful little girl. Yeah, I think he's got another one on the way. I don't know. If, I don't think that's top secret. So he put it on his Facebook. So he really wants to join the No Sleep Club with me and everyone else. <laughs> yes, he really does. Uh, okay. Uh, next one is from. I'll read this next one's from Martin. 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 There we go. <laughs> My reading today is terrible. Very Bill by Force like. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is feedback from the nether regions which you know take that as you will hello gentlemen I loved your review of Amsterdam you definitely got the same vibe from it as me with my last rewatch just like you I was a bit concerned of what you would think about it because I don't want to send you crappy films to cover on the show unless it was, or, unless they are good crappy films of course glad you liked it and you were right about the intro it did bring a smile on my face and I'm sure it did for other Dutch listeners maybe I'll send uh, Dick Maas his uh, debut De Lift uh, also, uh, sometime along the way, a lot cheesier and low budget, but also a good, fu- good fun in my opinion. Speaking of Dick Maz, he finally made a horror movie again that's coming this fall. It's called Sint, S-I-N-T, and I think you can call this the Dutch Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's not about Christmas, but about a similar Dutch holiday, and it is set in Amsterdam, of course. Got a YouTube link too, so I'm gonna check into that. But back to that dick whipping flick. <laughs> Rupert brought up some of the same issues I had with it. The bad sense score, the fact that even more could have been done with the scuba killer and that we don't see him enough. Also got a little Argento feeling from it sometimes and true, it even suffers from being over long. Something a lot of Argentos uh, do. Oh, and it's very likely the Volkswagen uh, Rabbit, called Volkswagen Golf here, uh, were the actual cars police used back then. As a matter of fact, they still use Vol- Volkswagens. But since uh, that's the a very normal here, I don't even, uh, you know, he didn't even notice it in the film. You must know that we just drive smaller cars here in Europe, and especially in the Netherlands. You know that they say about big cars and what they have to compensate for. <laughs> uh, Which is why I drive a smart car. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I drive a moped. Uh, yes. <laughs> a skateboard. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, I don't know much more good... Uh, he don't know much more good Dutch films that use the city of Amsterdam as a backdrop. I can only think of Verhoeven's uh, Katie Tipple, uh, which uh, used some old uh, Amsterdam settings, and he thinks, and has the same female lead as Amsterdam. I wonder if that's, that's the uh, fantastic Mary Kay place. Uh, there's also a Jalo York crime that's partly situated in the Netherlands and Amsterdam, though. The Devil Has Seven Faces. Oh, there we go. There's something I've never heard of. Uh, that's all for me for now. Hope the next one from OMG is as good as this was. Best, Martin. And we want to thank Martin for sending this film again. I mean, it was a lot of fun to watch. So, And you guys can order that over there at his store. Yes, you absolutely can. Uh, and they got some other great deals going on right now, which we'll talk about in our closing. But, um, 
Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to look up The Devil Has Seven Faces. That's a very Jalo title. Yes, it is. Uh, interestingly, I couldn't find it where I thought I would. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. Uh, I'll have to look into that later. I'll save the email, though. And he also said maybe we could do, he would send us one of the full two westerns next. He wanted some input from us. So we'll have to think about that and uh, yep. And get back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one is from Lee, and he says, The Freak Maker caught this weird little movie on some random satellite channel here in the UK and wondered if any of you have heard of it. It's very reminiscent of Freaks and a, with an odd sci-fi plot tagged onto it. Sammy, have you heard of The Freak Maker? Uh, yes, I have heard of The Freak Maker. I've actually seen The Freak Maker. Uh, it's a bizarre little movie. It's a Jack Carter film. And uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not Citizen Kane. Uh, but it's it's a, it's a pretty good little... I saw an article written up about it a long time ago in like a Fangoria magazine, or maybe it was a room org, I can't remember. And So I pursued it and uh, found it and watched it. It's got a nice DVD release out there now and stuff. It's a pretty good little movie. You know, if everybody anybody likes genetic mutations, I'd check into it. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to. Uh, I'll have to see it. I've heard of it, but uh, I've never seen it. Yep, uh, characters like uh, Pretzel Boy and Frog Boy and Alligator Girl. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making those up, by the way. Just... No, yeah, no, I know it has uh, like normal circus people and then yeah. uh, some more fantastical stuff. But other than that, I don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, we'll check into it again. I mean, it might might be something we would cover on the show at some point. I'm actually kind of surprised Bill and them haven't covered it yet. Yeah. So I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe they'll listen to this. Maybe they'll pick it up. Um, okay, next one's from Tim. Ghetto Tim, the one and only. Haven't heard from him in a while. Hey, boys. Long time out in the ether, but still have my ears on. Life has been grabbing me by the ass hair, so I haven't dropped in as much as I've hoped to. But this is going to change. First off, I listened to your Dreadnought Nocturne episode and have a few things to say. Well, number one, I love me some Brother Theodore, long before the burbs. <laughs> He always came across as a coked-out elderly Danny DeVito wearing a beat-up dead rat toupee. <laughs> First saw the brother in an X-rated no-budget Jaws parody called Gums, where he plays Carl Clitoris, the infamous role held by Robert Shaw as Captain Quint. Gums is a hard find, and it's about a horny mermaid attacking swimmers and fishermen dishing out the underwater hummers. <laughs> oh, wow. It's turdtastic and a real butt nugget to find. Uh, Letterman used to have Theodore come on and perform stand-up philosophy, and it always went over like a fart in church. To some, Theodore stands alone alongside some other famous figures like Zachary and Goulardi as a larger-than-life character who had his own distinct style. There's no doubt about it that Brother Theodore had his own distinct style. Uh, number two, I have to wholeheartedly agree with you guys regarding Dreadnought. If there ever was a subgenre of meth-foo then this totally falls under that classification. Everything is cranked to 11 in this film. And if this is your first taste of Hong Kong Fair, you're going to swear they were all doing rails before the camera started shooting. Biao <laughs> uh, Yun uh, alone dances across the screen like he has a paper cut on his taint. And he's a, and he's a human pinball. The only problem I have with Dreadnought is that most every other film to come out of Hong Kong really met the level of kinetic action this film provided, so it was a rare treat. For some cheesier HK mental insanity with the White Tiger. Check out uh, Taoism Drunkard, right? Taoism. Taoism, yeah. Saw the trailer on the big screen once in Chinatown in Toronto, and it teabagged my eyeballs. That's nice. It also know, It's also known by the title of Drunken Wu-Tang, I think, so keep an eye out. Total bugfuck insanity. Well, fellas, I'm out, but wondering when we're going to see some GGTMC action figures with the Kung Fu grip and the detachable chaps, of course. Take it <laughs> easy, Ghetto Tim. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to hear from Tim. As we always say, he's got a great way with the words. Um, as soon as we have a listener who's into plastic molding, we'll potentially have some mm-hmm. kung fu gripping uh, characters. Unfortunately, uh, the you only have one arm that would actually be functional because the other kung fu grip will be on our packages. So that's right. Kind of cheap toy there, but hey, you know it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but no, maybe I'll have to look in at Gums to see if I see Brother Theodore in a different light, but uh, I don't know, man. Tim, I, I trust you with almost everything taste-wise, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Underwater Hummers well, is, it does sound interesting, though. Yeah, yeah I gotta get it. that is true. Uh, okay, so next one uh, is from our good friend Scott, who we haven't heard from in a few weeks. Um, actually, Scott, before I forget, um, when I, hopefully when I'm downtown at TIFF, we can get together uh, at lunch or... Uh, for a pine, maybe you can sneak out to see a screening. Um, so I got a couple daytime screenings there that maybe you could swing. So, anyway, uh, his title is Gemma the Gem. Just listening to Will's thoughts on Prince of Persia and Gemma Arterton in particular, I wholeheartedly agree with him about her. Like most people, she caught my eye in Quantum of Solace, in which she looked gorgeous. In fact, I'm sitting in the theater waiting for the dis- disappearance of Alice Creed to get rolling. I ducked out of work for this one, so I hope it's as good as the trailer made it out to be. I think it's only on one screen here in Toronto. I believe it has been out for a couple of weeks, but I'm still shocked that I'm one of three people in here. Granted, it's a Monday matinee, but that's still a sparse crowd. Keep up the great work, Scott. Well, it sounds to me like he probably could duck out for a film if he can duck out for a little Alice Creed. Yeah, and you heard how I uh, felt about Alice Creed in the beginning. Um, God, Gemma Arterton's so fucking beautiful. But, anyway... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Scott, uh, once Tiff rolls around, we'll have to uh, powwow and get together. Yes. All right, so let's uh, keep moving here. We got another one from Greg. Hey, gents, just two things. Uh, I need to agree with Phil that Footprints, a.k.a. Footprints on the Moon, Leorm, Leorme, or is that Leorm? Leorm. Leorm. Leorme. Leorme. <laughs> Leorme. <laughs> 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 Robert pro- Goulet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doobie-doobie-doo. And Primal Impulse is a fantastic film. It's got like three different titles there. In fact, I'd likely make a list of my top ten Italian films ever if I were to make one. Oh, it it, it would make a list. So, huh. Uh, Yes, Kinski is in the film for maybe two minutes tops, but the real draw is Florinda Balkin's performance. For anybody interested in the film, I'd recommend the DVD release from the UK company Shameless. It's a rebuild edit cut from several sources, but most of it looks great, and it's undoubtedly the most complete version out there. Secondly, I just saw Penitentiary 3 for the first time. While the second film is my favorite of the trilogy, Penitentiary 3 has to be one of the most bizarre films I've ever seen. And it has the best saxophone reveal in (laughs) cinema history. (laughs) The moment where you hear the sax on the soundtrack and then the camera pans over to Steve Anton actually playing it in the bus on the way to the prison. (laughs) I had to go back and listen to the last third of Penitentiary Trilogy GTMC, which is maybe the third or fourth time I've listened to all or some of that episode. I rarely listen to I rarely re-listen to any podcast because I've always got unheard shows to hear, but I find myself returning to this hilarious episode. I wonder if there are other listeners who have favorite episodes of the show and they've wanted to listen and they've listened to more than once. Anyway, my attempt to be brief here has failed, so that's it. Peace, Greg. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun too. That uh, penitentiary show because we had a good old friend Miles who we've been trying to get back on the show forever now, uh, and hopefully we will soon. But Miles is always a lot of fun to have on the show. Yeah, he is. And, of course, when I think of Penitentiary 3 now, I think of Miles with his impeccable impersonation of, You dare question me, Serengeti? (laughs) The nice little Serengeti uh, impersonation uh, on that episode. That was a lot of fun. Fuck, we got to get him on for um, 
the killing zone, man. It's so hard. I wanted <laughs> we, to get him on before the end of the summer, and yeah, we've had just, a we've had a show planned now for uh, well over a year. The two films we've been hanging on to just to do with Mr. Miles, but uh, so far, say la vie, it has not been working out. So, but uh, yeah, Footprints on the Moon. I'm even more excited about now because I love. Lorinda Balkan, um, and if she really brings a top performance in this, then uh, all the more reason to see it. Yes, and anytime you can get two minutes of Kinski is good. <laughs> yes, yes. I think we only got the uh, one more email. Yes, we do, and it's from good friend Jeff, and Jeff says, ahoy, oh, dildos in cinema. <laughs> yes. <sighs> and he wrote sigh, but since he couldn't sigh, I was filling in the real sigh, of course. Ahoy, gentle fellas. Fight Club is the most logical answer when it comes to dildos in regular movies. Huzzah! Of course, the scene that comes to mind, besides the scene when Edward Norton's character is going through the airport, the guy is checking for bombs and says it's a dildo, but really, it's a dildo line that is... Really, it's a dildo... Really? It's a dildo <laughs> line is the following. You're getting choked up on the dildo speech here. That's, yeah, you know. no pun intended. <laughs> uh, right when Jack gets fed up with Marla, who, who is trying to kill herself for attention, we see one fascinated Tyler Durden pick up the phone and talks Marla into fucking him silly. Anywho, on the nightstand, when Tyler first comes into the room where Marla is all sprawled out, he notices this huge rubber cock, but not nearly as big as the one that kills the woman in Clockwork Orange. Hmm. The sequence is great as Brad Pitt looks over at the nightstand where, the cock, where said cock is standing upright in a hard position. He's looking at the cock and then back to Marla and shakes the nightstand, making the dildo wiggle as Marla says something to the effect of, don't worry, he poses no threat to you. <laughs> that, gentlemen, is cinema gold. <laughs> well, thanks, Jeff. We appreciate that. I had to send Jeff some uh, promos. He's getting ready to start a uh, podcast. Don't know the title of it and stuff, but him and another friend of his are getting ready to start a show. So, Oh, wow. What's he going to cover? Um, I'm not sure, sort. but uh, good luck with that, and welcome to the wonderful world of insanity that is podcasting once you get going. Yeah, it's it's oh, a wow. it's a lot more work than you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. It's not as easy as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> no, <laughs> but far more rewarding than we ever could have hoped it would yes. be. Yes, yeah, that that is without a doubt the truth. Far more rewarding what, than I ever thought it was going to be. So it makes all the work worth it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's a pain in the dick. <laughs> yeah, it's a pain in the dildo. Uh, yes. All right. Uh, so we got quite a bit of voicemail. So let's get cracking on it here. I'll get one queued up and we'll get going. Some metal Mikey, I think. Here we go. Hello, Rick and William. This is the metal one, metal Mikey of Action Tracks, and <laughs> finally catching up a bit with Gentleman's Guide. Oh, uh, what can I say? I was on vacation over the weekend. It's put a delay on my podcast listening. Big deal. Anyways, finally caught up with your Neon Mummies episode, and I just had a few things to say, nothing terribly too weighty here, but I kind of found it funny that Alex, well, I'm sorry, Piccolo's (laughs) initial journeys into some of his first exposure films this year are actually somewhat in line of mine. I actually saw Werewolf vs. Vampire Women for the first time this year as well, although... (laughs) <laughs> I will just say that movie was memorable for other reasons in terms of real-life instances and in good ways. I'm just going to leave it for you at that. Oh, boy. And probably about three weeks ago was the first time I'd seen Maniac. And, oh, my God, it is easily one of my favorite horror movies of all time now. I would just pick up a copy, but I realized in October they actually got a special two-disc edition plan from Blue Underground, which has a shitload of extras, and I'm trying to bide my time and be patient with that, because I'm just dying to see all the 
extra, extra material that are going to pack into it. And also, I wanted to say for your intro, if the GGTMC was indeed the NWO, I would be honored to be part of it, but at the same time, I'd be afraid that I would have two options to be part of the group. I'd either be Vincent or Fake Sting. Maybe you could correct me and say, oh, come on, Mikey, you're at least worthy of a Buff Bagwell or a Scott Norton, but I don't know. And finally, I can only really solidly comment on one movie, which is Neon Maniacs. You are right. It is vastly underappreciated as, like, just a general Goofy's 80s movie. I think it was actually one of the major 80s horror movies that was kind of formative in how I became a horror movie fan. See, I used to catch it quite often on USA. It wasn't even so much like the up all night schedule, but I know at some point during the mid to late 90s on USA, even like on early Saturday evenings, they'd start running horror movies. That, Neon Maniacs, and Spookies were the two movies that just sort of like made me go, wow. The horror genre is actually really cool, and I want to explore it a bit more. So I have to give Neon Maniacs that much credit. I mean, yeah, it's goofy at times, but it has a neat concept. It has a lot of neat makeup effects in it. And like I said, if it weren't for that, then I probably wouldn't even give much of a shit about the horror genre anyways. So to all those that are involved with the GGTMC, fine job. Can't wait to catch up. And I will talk to you again soon, all right? Take care gentle fellows and adios bye alright little Mikey there I don't think we definitely we definitely I think I would definitely go with Scott Norton maybe for the metal one I don't know I wouldn't go fake sting or buff bagwell <laughs> no uh, he's well I like buff bagwell more than most I think but I would say he's not fake sting or Vincent I, that's why I was pretty insulted when <laughs> fucking Bill over at OTC goes well, I'm going to be I fancy myself Kevin Nash and and uh, Will is Vincent and Rick is uh, fucking six. Yeah, they call me six. Yeah, yeah which I means know. I bang China in the butt nugget hole. So, and you played with her six inch clit. Yes. Ooh. Oh wow. That's not. That, and before no, those, we have any more talk about <laughs> those three words, I didn't clits. expect to hear today. No, definitely not. Six inch clit. Nice. Yikes! Let's move on. <laughs> yes, thanks for the uh, thing. And yeah, it's funny. He, I'm glad he likes it. Yeah, because I was seeing on the uh, Twitter that uh, Naked Eskimo hated it. <laughs> he watched it. And Are hated you serious? It. Yeah, he hated it. He just thought it was awful. Surprised. But I, I mean, he would really dig it. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it's a unique film to say the least. <laughs> I mean, again, I'll say Premonition by Trading Card. Nobody else does it like Neon Maniacs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next voicemail. This is a great voice to hear again. Here we go. Hey guys, it's Miles. Um, I'm calling because there are two different things that I wanted to mention. First of all, Sammy, I know that you trust me to be uh, your own personal grammar Nazi or your own personal Jesus, whichever one. Um, <laughs> but I have to call you out because uh, irregardless oh. is not a word. Oh, Lord. And I just think you should know that um, just for future <laughs> reference. Not a huge deal. A lot of people make that mistake because it seems like it should be a word. But it is actually not. Um, the other thing, uh, I really liked uh, Rupert's interview this week with the guys from Severin. And um, I want to recommend, um, well, I guess second the idea that uh, the Quad Dead Zone is an amazing, amazing piece of work. Uh, I went to go see a double feature of Black Devil Doll from Hell and the Quad Dead Zone. And Black Devil Doll from Hell is everything that you would expect it to be 
Um, the quad ed zone is completely uncharted territory in so many different ways. Um, and you do get puppet rape in Black Devil Doll from Hell, which, uh, you know, you can't discount that. And I, I feel like the guy from Severin maybe underplayed how entertaining that movie actually is. But um, I think for anyone out there who is a genre fan, both of those films are absolutely worth seeing. And, uh, yeah. Oh, and I also wanted to tell Rupert, I told you so, James Wynn, uh, you know, is not faking it. Anyway, love you guys uh, <laughs> listening to the show right now, so I may call back. But I'll talk to you later. Bye. All right, Miles. Irregardless, I got a million stuff going on, Miles. Yeah, I got a million stuff. Oh, hang on. Shark alarm. Shark yeah. alarm. Shark alarm. Let me grab my son. Shark alarm. Raise the black flag. <laughs> yes, I immediately added that film to my Netflix queue after listening to that review. I mean, that was outstanding. Yeah, that was outstanding. <laughs> now, and I'd seen some of the Italian ones he talked about, so. I, I know that, uh, irregardless, yeah, that's a word that I use a lot. And uh, maybe, I, maybe it isn't. I guess it isn't a word. I just always, I don't know. It's weird. Weird. You know what? I'm not going to let you go under the bus on this one alone. I've used you regardless and <laughs> no more than one occasion. So. It's, it's one of those words that I use, and afterwards I'm saying, I said in my head, I always say, should I have just said regardless? <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's one of those kind of things. But, you know, hey. All right. There's a lot of words like that, but that's oh, yeah. for another story. That's for the Miles cast. Yes. <laughs> All right, <laughs> next voicemail is for Miles Guinea Callback. Dildos, you say. <laughs> hey, it's Miles again. Um, I'm calling about the dildo thing. Yeah, there are a couple that I remember, uh, oddly enough. Basketball features a uh, oh, yeah. a vibrator, not really a dildo, but a, well, I guess it's sort of the same thing. One's electric, the other is a big floppy whatever. Um, Essentially. Yeah, they, uh, I, I think uh, it's either Matt or Trey um, actually, like, licks it and, um, like, kind of puts it in his mouth, and they find out that it's the mom's dildo. Ooh. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, and then uh, there's also, it, it's not quite a dildo uh, so much as it's a sex chair um, that has a dildo element to it uh, in Burn After Reading, which, uh, you know, might not be the most mainstream film, but it is a movie that stars George Clooney, Brad Pitt, uh, Francis McDormand, and a whole host of other, you know, big celebrities. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's all I can come up with right now. Hopefully, some other people have thought of some more, so we have stuff to watch this weekend. All right, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, I forgot all about the dildo chair and Burn After Reading. Uh, Burn After Reading is not a great film, but I had fun. I had fun with it. It was okay. Uh, but I forgot all about the dildo chair, and then of course uh, the basketball. Yeah, there's a lot of dick jokes in that thing. Yeah, there is a lot. <laughs> a lot. Okay. Moving along. we got so much voicemail, I'm just going to try to crank through it here. Next voicemail. There we go. Hi, Smythe. I was just calling in kind of randomly. I was watching uh, The Thing last night, and, of course, it made me think of you guys over and over and over way too much. Yeah. The beard, <laughs> the Walter Brimley, the, the J&B that got pulled out several times. <laughs> so, anyways, I, I was thinking that I can't recall that you guys have reviewed this one, and if I forgot, I just, I'm not where I can go look down your list. But I think the thing would be a perfect one for you guys to throw up on your, your road map. I'm sure it's probably already there, but I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on it. And maybe you could explain the damn hat Kurt Russell had throughout that thing. It just cracked me up. <laughs> There's so much stuff about this movie I saw so many times as a, as a youth, and I cannot recall the last time I watched it, and it's been so long. There were pieces of it I don't even remember. I don't remember the 
UFO in the credits actually crashing towards Earth and stuff like that. But I couldn't find anywhere on the box where it's anything about added footage. So, but anyways, I loved it and loved it to death. Um, it's putting practical. Fozzie, Fozzie Bear and I were talking about how practical effects just become more and more viable when you look back at movies like that. And uh, The Fly was another one I watched this week. And you go, my God, things just don't look that awesome anymore. So, anyways, just quick feedback. And that's all. Bye. Yes, practical effects are a lost art form. They really are. I mean, you really see it when you see some of Botine's old stuff, Savini's old stuff. The uh, stuff from Without Warning. Yeah, yeah there we go. <laughs> Whisker Biscuits. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, well, the thing's not on our roadmap. But at the same time, I would never deny or affirm that it's not going to be covered by us at some point. Especially because it's in my top ten favorite films of all time, and it's it's up there for you too. Oh, yeah. Like maybe not top ten, but it's oh, it's arguably top twenty five for me though. Yeah, arguably, it probably probably like top fifteen. Hell, who knows? If I was to actually go back and do a list, it probably would be top ten. It is a film I watch religiously. I watch it at least two or three times a year. And like I've said before, in my opinion, best Carpenter. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. I can't argue with it. I mean, it's it's right up there. But he has so much good stuff. Yeah, he really does, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he really does. I mean, it's really hard. So <laughs> even his lesser stuff is better than most people's better stuff, if that makes any sense. <laughs> so it does, and I agree. All right, um, next one, Doctor Zom. Here we go. Uh, 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 oh yeah. Hey guys, it's Doctor Zom. <laughs> And um, I have a confession to make. Oh, Lord. It takes a big man to admit when he's wrong. And I'm a big man. (laughs) And I have to say that last week, I said that in the movie Twisted with Ashley Judd, Samuel L. Jackson and fat Andy Garcia (laughs) that Ashley Judd had a dildo on her nightstand by her bed I watched that thing before I left that message two or three times and I left the message confident that it was a fleshy pink rubbery a dildo. And I even, when I was at work, uh, went to show my uh, co-workers <laughs> the find of the century. He's very popular at work, obviously. <laughs> the Kentucky Wildcats' very own dildo. <laughs> and as I was, with pride and glee, showing them the 33 minute mark of Twisted (laughs) I realized no 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 dildo it was not a dildo in the movie she is taking uh, self defense courses and I can't remember what they call the thing kabuta or I think that's maybe a tractor or something like that but it's a piece of wood uh, that has ridges on it, so you can kind of grab it. And um, it's <laughs> I'm laughing because the description still sounds perverted. It's a, a Kubota, 
trapped there there. Dead zone. <laughs> Blunt on one end, and uh, you can, uh, you know, smash somebody in the throat with the blunt end of it. Still sounds like a dildo. Solar plexi. Yeah. Or, you know, what I'm saying. I don't have to go too much further into the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Boss Rutan self-defense course. <laughs> but it was not a dildo, and I was very humiliated. And to be honest with you, I was a little bit disappointed. <laughs> Number one, I was disappointed because I thought the movie had the balls to have this woman who was supposedly kind of a nymphomaniac cop have a dildo. But I was also disappointed because in my fantasy, cute little Ashley Judd, who I just think is, you know, just the apple of my eye and who I find completely and totally intoxicating in a Rocco Safrady kind of way. Ah. Um, I guess my hopes were dashed, unless I'm thinking about maybe she took the martial arts tool home, had a few cocktails, nothing around, nobody around to see, nobody around to witness any kind of insertion. (laughs) But anyway, I digress. And I'm sorry that I brought up dildos and butt plugs and gaping and <laughs> Ashley Judd and... All in a day's work for Dr. Zom. So yes. I'm admitting Dr. Zom was wrong, but if you'd like to think that Ashley Judd had a dildo on her bedstand, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to just, you know, in my mind, it was a dildo. Zomot! Moo! I would say that that's almost like the Henry Silva impersonation of the Black Elk and Ghost Sam- Ghost, Ghost, Ghost Ghost Dog. Yeah, there I got it. Totally. Out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Zom. Either way, your feedback inspired a bunch of people to give us dildo comments. So uh, there you go. Dildos became a big subject on Facebook everywhere, <laughs> which shouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yes, but he's still in that description. It still sounded like a dildo. All right, he sent another voicemail in. Here we go. Zama, 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 Chameleon. <laughs> my feedback blows. My feedback blows. Watching movies is all that I seem to do. <laughs> Clean my shoe. Here it comes. Look, motherfucker. Clean my shoe. <laughs> Every day I sit and watch a flick. Not just once that feature T.T. Boy's dick. <laughs> Every day I read subtitles. Fu choose my enemy, not my idol. Zama, 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 what's going on? Scott Glenn Schlong, his wrinkled old schlong. <laughs> I got to poop, so I better finish this song. It's gone too long. Uh. It's gone too long. Three minutes is all that I get. Three hours of feedback upsets the head. I only wish I was Emily. Her gamma ray feedback is so funny. <laughs> Watch Glee. Zama, 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 I gotta go. I eat taco, then dream of Carla Gugino. Nice. I like those boobies. 
<laughs> I'd watch her play a tree. Mucho booby. Mucho booby. Mucho booby indeed. Lam. Oot. Yes, that song almost beat, almost defeated Zom. <laughs> It did, man. He was on the ropes. It was rope a dope him, man. <laughs> yeah, he could he lost his breath a couple times there. <laughs> he needed to have a glass of water, but where do you break when you're just rapid fire machine gunning those poetic lyrics from your mouth? <laughs> yes, pretty great stuff. I didn't know he liked tacos and dreaming of Cogagino, but hey, that sounds like a good evening to me. It sounds like a great evening, and I love the the Silva nod to cry of a prostitute. Yes, actually, didn't Silva? Did he say something about? He, he likes using the uh, the motherfucker word. He uh, motherfucker. Yeah, he I says. Repeat myself. He says it very well. Yeah, he says it very well. <laughs> All right, next voicemail. Yo, buddies. Um, so prominent dildos in mainstream films. Uh, this one here is probably one of the most disturbing. Um, Scenes I've ever seen, but in Zodiac, when they go to their main culprit's house, their their the trailer park, whatever, and they go in, and there's a wooden dildo with a massive tub of Vaseline on the floor oh, and yes. dried shit on the end of the dildo. Oh yes, um, it's quite uh, disgusting. I remember the first time I saw it, I was thinking, Jesus, did I just see that? Uh, but I just checked the the, the commentary, and they were saying that the um, the detectives involved described it as the biggest tub of Vaseline that they've ever seen. So, <laughs> yes. There you go. Still those prominent those. Nice. Hey, gents, it's Emily. Um, oh. you seen- that was quick. Oh, it it jumped right in like gangbusters. <laughs> what, sorry, what film was that he was talking about? It's Zodiac. Uh, that's when they go to the trailer thing. They're kind of looking around. I remember it now. Oh, when the, yeah, they go to the trailer. Okay, I remember that. Was it during the daytime that scene took place, I think, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So. Okay. Fuck. There was That's shit on the end. I didn't notice that. Thankfully. That was, <laughs> yeah. That was. Uh, oh yeah. That could have been that, or it could have been uh, to be even more disgusting. It could have been like dry blood. It's a wooden dildo, so it's even more disturbing. <sighs> Careful of splinters. Ooh. Oh. And I'm not talking about the rat that trained the teenage mutant ninja turtles, even though that's another type of perversion altogether. All right. It certainly is. <laughs> Next voicemail. Thanks, Brian. We appreciate it. Next voicemail. <laughs> Hey, Jens, it's Emily. Um, you seem to, in your last episode, be soliciting your favorite um, dildo moments. In- See what you've done, Doc Zom? <laughs> Here we go. Dildos, dildos everywhere. Um, I have one filmic, one non, although actually I'm cheating. Now I realize it's not a dildo, it's a vibrator. But um, I'm going by Parenthood. Uh, when oh, yes, yes. early in the film, Diana Weiss is kind of like a harried single mother and... You know, she has the whole family over, and the lights go out, and everybody's looking for a flashlight. And Steve Martin's like, oh, I got one, I got one. And they turn I have to pause it. Did she say a harried single mother or yes. a hairy single mother? Harried as in, like, a rundown, kind of okay. frazzled. Okay. All right. There's, there are some hairy single mothers, too, so I just want to make sure. All right. Oh, and which uh, niche porn sites are you looking And the, when the little girl asks, you know, Mommy, what is that? And the answer is, it, it's an electric ear cleaner. Uh, which I always like that line. Um, and then my other one has nothing to do with films, but um, it might amuse you. I'm walking down the street one day in New York a few years ago, and I don't know if your cities have this too, but um, what's annoyingly ubiquitous here are these like men who walk around and sell M&Ms and candy at like two bucks a bag, and they claim that they're trying to raise money for their basketball team, but usually they're like 35-year-old men who clearly aren't playing basketball. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, one day I'm walking down the street with a friend, and there's a man selling M&M's. He's like, ladies, buy some M&M's. Let me help you buy some uniforms for my basketball team. And, you know, I try to say very politely, no thank you. To which he then, as I keep walking away, he's like, hey, miss, miss, you dropped something. So I naturally look down because I think he's being friendly because I was nice to him. I said, no, thank you. And I look down. I don't see anything. He goes, you dropped your deal, though. And <laughs> that was that. I still don't know how that was supposed to make me buy M&M's. It didn't. Um, but that's my favorite still do non-film story. Okay. Bye. I don't even know how to reply to that. Remind me when we see her, I'm going to point to the floor and say, Emily, you dropped your deal, though. <laughs> the way she said that is classic. I ought to curb that for a, a sound cliff. You dropped your yeah. deal, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, she is right there. I do have. We do have people, even here in this small city, who uh, uh, sell stuff who are suspicious, to say the least. Always. Always, I don't know about Toronto, but here in the states, it seems to be a big problem. People are selling stuff on the streets for any kind of money. All right, not that you know selling candy is a terrible thing. I mean, but you know they're just trying to make some money for themselves. They just say, "Oh, it's for my." It's funny as you said, my basketball team. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> next, next voicemail. G'day, boys. Ray Bradbury here. <laughs> just watch Mr. Brooks starring Kevin Costner and Demi Moore. And I can't tell the difference between that film and all the other ones you guys talk about. So I think you should do an episode on that. The difference between Mr. Brooks and all the other cinema things that Jesus. you talk about. Other than that, it's great to listen to your show every day. I play it in my school class and I teach five year olds. Okay. That was the first one. <laughs> that was the first one. Well, uh, that would explain some problems Australia might be having nowadays with their utes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, nice. Uh, next voicemail. Oh hi, it's Scorn. Um, look, do you guys know anybody who could help me out? Cause I've um, in I've got an idea for a TV. Like you know, I'm sick and tired of flat screen TVs, but I want a TV that looks like it's been embedded in half dome. And if we just get a plaster of Paris do who can make it look like the back of the half dome, make it the same size of it, and put it in your backyard and then watch movies with your commentary. Well, we can do this. This is a business opportunity. You two bong-smoking, child-bearing numbnuts. Come on, boys. <laughs> Get down here and let's do it. I'm sick and tired of just dreaming about this. Oh, God, I just pissed my pants. There might have been intoxication involved in that second call. Highly probable. <laughs> yes, uh, we would love to hang out, Zorn. Uh, Scorn, Zorn, Scorn. We'd hang out. Uh, yes, we. <laughs> yes, I have this image of him calling, and every time he calls, he's wearing the outfit that uh, Sean Connery wore in Zardoz. So, <laughs> <laughs> except he shaves all his body hair. Sean Connery was the woolly mammoth of Zardoz. All right, <laughs> next voicemail. Hey, gents, it's Ed. I haven't called in in long time, but uh. Will was talking about his Bergman marathon, and I just kind of, when he was talking about his, I had just, about starting his, I had just watched Wild Strawberries. I was waiting for uh, Will to get to that one. So um, I watched that one morning while I was waiting for my son to get up. So he got up when I was about halfway through the movie. My nine-year-old son sat there with me watching it. He got real engrossed in it. He was asking me all kinds of questions about it, what was going on. It was awesome. Guys, wait till your kids are old enough to start watching movies with them like that. It's so 
awesome. <laughs> so I was the proud dad watching Wild Strawberries with my nine-year-old son who was watching it attentively. Um, and dildo movies. <laughs> the first one that popped in mind was Parenthood. Oh, Lord. The lights go out. It's a big family dinner. Steve Martin's trying to grab a flashlight. He hits the button. You hear buzzing noise. Light comes on. And he's holding the, his... He's holding... Uh, I don't know. I can't remember her name. He's holding her dildo in front of the whole family. He laughs and runs out with it. It was great. But in that movie, I think it was PG, and he had a prominently displayed dildo in Steve Martin's hand. Well, that's about it. Keep up the great show. Talk to you later. Bye. And heard from Ed and Wall. It's good to hear from him again. Good to know he's still listening. Yeah, it's great to hear from him. I believe he calls into Family Movie Night a fair bit. Uh, yeah. I hear him in there with his son, uh, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I've heard them on there a few times. No, I'm, I'm glad. You know, I really, uh, I really love the fact that uh, they watched Wild Strawberries together. I uh, we're inching towards that. My son watched a bit of, uh, you know, he watches a bit of films with me um, where it's not overly sleazy. So <laughs> yes. hopefully he'll he'll appreciate that. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's, it's going to be. Something I'm looking forward to. Even even right now, I'm excited about the crap children's movies I'll get to watch with them. Um, just right now, I'm excited about that kind of stuff. But we'll see how long that goes. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Thanks for the call, though, Ed. Uh, next voicemail, Metal Mikey called back. Well, hello, Rick and William. This is Metal Mikey playing the usual catch-up game for Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. And these are my thoughts on the Nocturnal Dreadnought episode. Didn't we just hear First off, I hear you both on just sort of generally life getting in the way of... I don't think so. Do we? Let's listen to this. Oh, no, that was a different one about the Vincent... uh, (laughs) Yes, yes, there we go. Sorry. Catching viewings. I'm still about two weeks out from seeing Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I'm hoping to get to it this weekend, but there's just sort of like all sorts of crazy stuff that's been happening to me lately, and you can probably hear a good portion about that from Action Attraction last episode. Ahem. So I hear you totally on that. But as for thoughts on both films, you know, I get the weirdest inkling that maybe once I have seen Dreadnought, at least I did see the VHS cover, and I'm like, huh, this looks awfully familiar. But I really do want to check it out again because your comparisons to Kung Fu Hustle really sold it to me because I fucking love Kung Fu Hustle. It is such a well-crafted film. But, wow, pretty bleak turn of opinions on Nocturna, although... Apparently, disco music gives soul to the soulless undead. Well, go figure. But <laughs> yes. I think you've given me a new viewing prospect for a film franchise from this episode alone. I wrote down the direct line here. So here we go. <clears throat> Jason is the Pepe Le Pew of slashers. You know what? I almost want to watch the entire Jason run of Friday the 13th movies just so I can... I can almost hear in his thought bubbles like him speaking a really bad French accent. Oh, mon chéri, I'm going to cut your head off. Uh, You see, this is why I don't do voice impersonations much, people. So thank you for opening up a new viewing opportunity. And, yeah, that's really about it I got. Thankfully, I'm keeping it short and sweet. I guess kind of like my wiener. But anyways, I will wow. talk to you all later. And you take it easy, Will, and you take it easy, Rick. And, yeah, just generally take it easy. All right, bye. Oh, you know, I, I never thought uh, Mikey would have confessed that uh, he hails from Vienna. Yeah, uh, there we go. It's great. Six-inch clits and Mikey's wiener on GGTMC this week. 
Fantastic. Nice. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah, Nocturna is probably not worth the effort. Dreadnought, if you haven't seen it, you definitely need to. Good stuff. Uh, I don't think there's anything else we had to add there. So, no, it. Mikey, uh, put a cherry on top with the old four inch of there, bye. <laughs> yeah. Nice. All right, there we go. Next one. It's Mike down in Florida. Um, just wanted to say, I really want to see Amsterdam. I, I've never seen a horror flick from Holland. That sounds very interesting. The Netherlands there. Um, and, and the whole scuba aspect really interests me. That's a, a new take there. Um, Anyway, I was going to plug some shit, too, because uh, I'm really hoping that some of the listeners will come out, um, and I have stuff in the game by this, but uh, October 10th at the drive-in in Atlanta, the Starlight Drive-In, they're having Drive Invasion this year, and they just announced the movie lineup, and I thought it might be interest of, of interest to uh, GGTMC listeners. Since the films this year are Billy Jack, Convoy, The Road Warrior, and Stunt Rock. Um, oh, wow. So that's an all-day thing with bands playing like Jason and the Scorchers and the Flesh Tones and a bunch of bands are playing all day and then all night it's movies and, and those are some definitely some GGTMC territory type movies this year. Um, also, uh, of course, I'll be doing my annual Shocktoberfest the first time you guys are probably hearing about it on the show because I, I wasn't calling last year at this time but mm-hmm. I do movies every Friday and Saturday night in October at the Silver Screen Theater here so if anybody's listening within the sound of my voice that they can get on a plane and come here to Pensacola and watch movies. we got some good stuff this year. Dead Alive, uh, Evil Dead 2, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Day of the Dead. Uh, of course, it all culminates with uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space on the 29th and Rocky Horror on the 30th, which will be insane because there's usually two full theaters that I have to tend to. So um, anyway, I enjoyed last week's show. I'm, I'm enjoying having the uh, the added member of the gentleman, the extended gentleman, you know, Rupert and Pickle Loaf, and Rupert's interviews are are being, you know, are always entertaining. Uh, the Severing guys were really cool. I, I don't think I've heard Rupert laugh that much in any interview, and, you know, I'm looking forward to Peephole, the, the perverted. That just sounds like, you know, the kind of movie that I would... I think they made that movie. It was called Sliver, but maybe James Wynn can do something different with it. Um, <laughs> and also the Toronto After Dark stuff with uh, Uncool Cat was really awesome, too. So uh, thanks, guys, and I will talk to you later. Ciao. Yeah, all right. Uh, some good plugging there to go along with Mikey Small Wiener Talk. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, well, we're glad everybody's really digging the extended family we're kind of trying to create with the GGTMC with Uncool Cat and Rupert and Pickle Oaf and... You know, I wouldn't say it's done. I mean, we, 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 we like having everybody involved as much as possible. That's really the, the main thing when it comes to podcasting. Both Will and I agree that, you know, this is a shared experience. You know, we're not very selfish. We don't want it just to be about me and Will all the time. So I'm glad everybody's really digging it. Absolutely. It's just an extension of a community we want to uh, we we've want to be a part of. So Yep. Yeah. We fostered this thing, and this is what we've always wanted, and it's really starting to come to fruition, and it's really... It really, it really makes me proud when I, and I know this sounds crazy, but I really am very proud. Like when an episode comes out and I'm not involved in it, and it has our, our, you know, our sound on it, it has our trademark on it, and our intro and stuff, and somebody does all of that work for the show uh, through, you know, we don't pay them or anything. It's just through love of the show and of talking about movies, and it really just, I know this is going to sound really strange, but it really just kind of warms my heart when I put those episodes out. It really does. So, it's good stuff. And speaking of uncool cats, here we go. 
Hey, it's Uncool Cat calling. Uh, Chris, just uh, trying this whole talking out loud thing rather than emailing. Um, sorry, I'm also so quiet. I'm just outside this girl's home, and she keeps calling the cops and stuff. <laughs> gets me so angry. Anyway, uh, glad to hear you're doing uh, one, of, one of my favorites, Without Warning, uh, with Jack Palance and Martin Lando. I think I was mentioning to Will that I was a big fan of it and was a little disappointed after seeing that and Alone in the Dark that they weren't like horror, like regular horror actors like uh, like Vincent Price or something. So, yeah, it's very cool that you're doing that. And brings me to my question is if either of you or both of you have a favorite performance in a horror movie. Because, uh, yeah, I thought, thought they hammed it up nice and seeing them later in like City Slickers and... Uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors, which I still both like, uh, was kind of hard not to think of them overacting in the previous film. So I'm yeah, just curious if you have a favorite horror performance. And uh, back to looking through this girl's window. Bye. <laughs> nice. I love that his, uh, his brother Cletus is a trout. Or is, as to, to tease Will a little bit, as you say up there, a trout. A trout. A trout. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to the uh, show last night, uh, the bonus show. I listened to it again on the way home, and you're like, "Look, there's a trout." <laughs> and I was Come like, on. <laughs> and he's he's like he's like, "No, that's not a trout. That's my brother Cletus." <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought he was gonna go somewhere else. Like you know that, <laughs> that little trout was not a trout. It was you know a little fecal material maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! But uh, okay, so Will, do you have a favorite performance in a horror film? This is a good question. It's a tough question, actually. <laughs> That's a really tough question, man. Um, God, I you know that that's a really difficult question. That I think I'd have to kind of think about for for quite some time. Um, I don't know. I, I and I hate to give you that answer, Chris, but I just think there's been so many great performances because horror can force you to well up a lot of a real raw emotion. Yeah. Um, I can I can name one off the top of my head, and it's pretty much a standard. But uh, I still think it's one of my favorites, especially from that actor. And it's way over the top, but I love it. It's uh, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Uh, I still love him in that quite a bit. I mean, a lot of the Jack Nicholson Nick, Nicholson Nicholson, uh, you know, kind of stereotypes are in there. But at the time, they weren't really stereotypes yet. So, uh, but I really enjoy that performance. I love the kind of insanity of it and stuff. It's just so bizarre. <laughs> you you go back and look at it and stuff. That one and uh I think David Gale and uh I think it's his name in Reanimator, which I know you haven't seen yet, uh he's pretty good in that. Uh, Michael Rooker and Henry is a pretty intense performance. Yeah, that's uh, a good one. Linda Blair uh, in The Exorcist. Linda I mean, Blair absolutely in The Exorcist comes up. I think as much as it's really oversaturated now, Robert Anglin, there's a reason he became an icon. It was truly because of him. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Performance uh I mean, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of good acting in horror films. I mean, it gets it gets kind of it's kind of like the dirty little Hollywood secret, you know, the money generator for Hollywood. The Hollywood don't want to talk about, but there's good performances in there. How about uh, what's her name, uh, Jennifer Carpenter? I think in The Exorcism of Emily Rose was it? Was that fantastic. Her name? Yeah, she was fantastic in that. Um, yeah. I think uh, I'm just thinking of some Italian stuff. Uh, John Carlo Giannini was really good uh, as a weary cop and. Blackbelly, the trench. Maybe not the best performance, but really good performance. Yeah, um, he's good enough. Yeah. Th- there's a lot. I mean, there's just there's so 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 many. Yep. And hopefully that'll be a couple that'll satiate the young cool cat. Um, but that is yeah, that is all of our feedback, Large William. Let's get into the pleasantries. 
let's okay I'm actually done uh, my one review book like those notebooks I keep yeah uh, I'm done when I gotta start a new one next week um, <clears throat> so as we've said Horror Hound weekend is fast approaching in November Cincinnati everyone is going to be there of course uh, each podcast is bringing nine nine delegates no weapons yeah and there'll be uh, dildos for everybody evidently Yes, Emily, keep yours in your pocket. Don't drop it on the floor because that many feet touching it would be unsanitary. <laughs> would it be a miracle uh, if Doc Zom doesn't pick it up and sniff it? <laughs> or just give it the old, the slight tongue touch to see. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And I didn't mean that in the sense, you know what, this is devolving. Let me just clarify. I didn't mean that in the sense because it was Emily's. I meant because it was a dildo and this is devolving far too quickly yeah. for me. So before I... Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Emily's a Emily's good-hearted person. She'll know we're just fucking around. Yeah. No, I, I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Let me, before I dig myself a further hole. Didn't mean because it was yours, Emily. Yes. Uh, okay. And moving on. <laughs> we're all going to be in Cincinnati. Uh, let's, you know, everyone get there. It's going to be good. Uh, OMG-entertainment.com uh, for good friend Martin. And, uh, yeah, you can find Amsterdam as well as a bunch of other titles there. They got up to 44% off their Raro titles right now, which include... The Milieu Trilogy and some other great Eurocrime films. GGTMC 10 for 10% off orders over £40. Yes. Um, now, Sister Shows, OTC, Show Show. I'm going to mention CD this week, although uh, I don't know if they're going to be coming back. Yeah. And that's not insider information. That's, you know, mm -hmm. it's public knowledge mm -hmm. uh, to a degree, so... I'll mention them this week, and then I'm going to stop mentioning them until they come back, uh, right, right. just because we don't know if they're coming back. So OTC and C and uh, Show Show. Shark Week was at Show Show this week. Yeah, and yes. uh, I know that And a million other stuff on Show Show this week. A million other stuff and lots of shark alarm. Um, and <laughs> fuck, I'm just stuck in first year here. Family Movie Night, uh, of course. Movie Meltdown, Chinstroga versus Punter. Paleo Cinema, Cinecaltania, who I think just had an episode with Alex and Ben back together again. Uh, Cinerama with Sir Ian Loring. Uh, Action Attraction with the, the Viennese King, the Viennese Prince, Metal Mikey. Uh, Better in the Dark, V Cinema, Destroy the Brain. Girls on Film, they're covering Lady Snowblood and something else super cool this week. I can't remember what it is. Uh, casino, uh, Casino. Ah, yes, that's going to be a pretty good episode. Yep. Um, Gore Press Gorecast, The Big Red Podcast, the podcast that dreaded sundown, which they're having some technical problems, but they'll be back uh, sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And of course, a show I always forget to mention, and I'm sorry that I do, uh, not that they need us to mention them, they're such a gargantuan, uh, NOTLP. Yes. Great show by great people, so yep. we're going to get to powwow with them when we're in Cincy. Uh, speaking of great people, there's the Para Duo, Dylan and Christine over at Paracinema.net. Uh, NightmareTheater.blip.tv and HorrorCommentary.com Beyond that, there are the bloggies Piccoloaf, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Dolls House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Rach on Film, Lightning Bugs Lair, Naked Eskimo, uh, This Is Quiet Cool, Heaven's Trash, Big Suck Loser, Death Rattle 13, and of course Funky 16 Corners 
lunarpages.net. Did we get a pick from Larry this week? I don't yeah, know yeah, we it'll be in one of the breaks, yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, it's in good. one of the breaks. <laughs> if people are wondering why we say that, it's because we record the feedback first. That's why Will is asking that question. <laughs> yes, I, I don't have any. I'm not uh, taking Polaroids of things and writing, tattooing stuff on myself. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, of course, CDB, uh, for all your hard-to-find genre needs, the two films this week were from CDB. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've just done a great thing with their web- website where what they've done is... Um, Every film we've covered, we have our own link now. Uh, there'll be a GGTMC logo beside the film. So if you go through the stuff and see that logo, you know we've covered it. Or you can find our own section where it'll link back to the review of that film. So right, right. great work by the gang over at CDB. Podcast mm-hmm. Alley, throw us some votes. It's a new month coming up by the time you all hear this. Um, I threw up the uh, the Silva bat signal last night. Hopefully we got a few votes in. <laughs> Friend us all on Facebook. Twitter, GGTMC, oh, there we go, twitter.com backslash GGTMC, backslash Bob Freelander, backslash Pickleloaf10, that's the number 10, and backslash Large William, although Large William is very sporadic. Yes. We have a donate button. Uh, We are accepting now rupees and drachmas, so yes, yes, feel free, and uh, Alyssa will let us know email and voicemail. And what are you picking next week, my friend? All right, I'm going to go off the roadmap a little bit. Uh, I found something that I had never seen, and... um I'd always meant to see it. I never got around to it. So I am picking a film called 100 Rifles. It's a Western. So uh, you, you, might, uh, you might want to look it up. I think you'll be surprised by the cast, and I think you'll be excited. So. 100 Rifles. It's funny. I was going to pick a Western of sorts. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to. I'm going to save it then and go with something else here. Okay. Uh, so just give me a moment. Uh, this is kind of a surprise for Will. I just kind of dropped it on him out of nowhere. Yeah, let's see. Oh, I've seen this actually. Yeah, I saw this on cable about last year. Wow. Didn't yeah, know. my wife pointed it out to me because uh, she saw the the winning t- trio of Jim Brown, Raquel Welch, and Burt Reynolds, and uh, <laughs> and and Soledad that Miranda. Yeah, this. Yes, uh, and yeah. Uh, Fernando Lamas, the you know, the father yes. of one of our favorites. Yes. <laughs> so, oh, interesting. That'll be a fun little film then to cover on the show. Be, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'll, I'll save my words for next week. Yes. Uh, I am going to stay on the roadmap. You know what? Why don't we do... The silence, right. is, the silence is deafening. Okay. You know what? Yeah. Why don't we do a little East meets West. We're going to do Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's been on the roadmap for a long time. Yeah, that's been, that was on the very first roadmap. So we're okay. going to do Japanese women in prison meets Western. Yes, nice. I can't wait. It's going to be an awesome show, as usual. Yes. All right, so that's it. Next week, 100 Rifles and Female Prisoners, Scorpion 701. Or, yeah, okay. Female Prisoner 701, Scorpion. There we go. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> With the, so if you are a Miko Kaji fan, two weeks in a row, you're going to get some coverage, first from the girls on film and then from us. Yes, yes, there you go. That's a good point. All right, so that is our show. Um, let me uh, get the music queued up, and then we'll say our adioses because I'm such a professional here. Hang on. We find it. All right. Now we can say, we can pretty much say adios. Adios. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 